Well, I ain't having a great week, but I'm gonna hang in there, because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Muhammad, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and associate, Jacob Redman. Jacob, how you doing this morning? You know, Zach, uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, I feel like I might should be playing on the injured reserve uh, in terms of podcasting. Yesterday I was hiking and I bit the inside of my uh, tongue and I bit the inside of my cheek. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit rough over here, but hey, we'll get through it. Uh, yeah, how are you doing, Zach? I should be on the injured reserve for exhaustion because I've just been <laughs> I've been moving this past week and I just haven't been sleeping great. I've just been tired every day, cranky. As my roommates have been complaining about. So, yeah, I've not been in the best mood this week, if I'm being honest. But I'm excited. We're in the finale. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. We got a lot of feedback. A lot of... Man, and I'm surprised we made it this far, to be honest. Like, when me and you started, I was like, man, I don't even know if we're going to get past episode 13. I don't even know how it's going to go. But look at this. We have great chemistry, and we've actually made it this far. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, uh, super excited to, mm-hmm. you know, get into the end of season one, brighter pastures ahead, excited for season two. And hey, you know what? You're exhausted. Maybe some delirious podcasting is exactly <laughs> what we need on getting in there. And you know what? It's not like we haven't done that before. <laughs> Full disclosure. Exactly. At least, at least um, I've definitely podcasted exhausted before. Maybe Jacob's a little better than me in that regard. But nope. <laughs> <laughs> before we start, I just want to say, like, while obviously me and Jacob are like the host of this show there's so much that goes on behind the scenes like last week with aj that was an incredible episode i had so much fun even during the recording of that even with my audio issues and my internet going awry but i have to give a big shout out to our editor maddie who did such a she did such a great job last week with that episode of putting it out because i was in the discord and i think i was talking to sarah one of our listeners she's like oh yeah i didn't even hear any audio issues so i was like damn like if you could have seen yeah. what we were going through during the recording i was like so worried so i just gotta give a Shout out to Maddie and like all the people behind the scenes, Sam Moore, Hannah Lidsky, and of course, the guy who put us on the network, Josh, because if it wasn't for him, this podcast wouldn't exist. We got lucky. We started this just as he started <laughs> his first watch of Avatar. So the stars aligned. And thank you to everybody behind the scenes for helping us get this far and finish up season one. Anything you want to yeah. add to that, Jacob? Yeah, I'm just super excited. Uh, I, this is like so fun to get to do every week. I look forward to it every uh, every day, and I'm so excited. And yeah, a huge shout out to Maddie. Uh, fantastic job editing. I don't know what on earth goes on behind the scenes, but it always sounds so good, even uh, when I'm freaking out internally while we're recording. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> super excited uh, that that last week's episode came out well. Because uh, it was a lot of fun. And shout out to AJ. AJ was a great guest, honestly. Like, yeah. even, even with the NSFW stuff, I still, he was such a great <laughs> presence and he was so hilarious. So I, I genuinely, like, I don't know if that was our best episode. That's up for debate. But that episode last week was probably the most fun I had recording one of these podcasts. Yep. Uh, I agree with you there. Well, we have a lot to get into, so we should probably get started. We are doing both parts of the finale, so that's Siege of the North Part 1 and Part 2. So we got double the Avatar content to get to. Yeah, uh, yeah but, let's, before let's we start, right the, oh, no, before we, yeah. sorry, I, there's something I could, br- I got to bring up. So our Apple feed that I've been telling you guys to link to, 
the team behind the scenes, they're hard at work trying to fix it. So if you're trying to listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we may not be available to all you iPhone users. So, but we're still recording. <laughs> we got a, a couple of emails from a fan asking if we're still making the show. Yes, we are. If you're listening to this, you know that. Yeah. But if you have an iPhone, you can go to the website, postyourrecaps.com, and you should be able to find our most recent episodes there every Tuesday, as well as Spotify. Our Spotify feed is still up and great and has all yep. the most recent episodes our apple our, po- our apple feed stuck on episode 12 for some reason so our, our apple feed is back i believe so oh, i think oh, that you should mind. be good going forward yeah oh, so okay, uh, perfect perfect so, i, ch- I so checked I it two days ago and it still wasn't working but i'm i'm not yeah i'm just an idiot no, I, never mind there we go it's working so <laughs> I, I think it's all good but sorry okay. for being out uh if you had a few weeks missing. I guess you just have 13 hours of Avatar to catch up on. Uh, and <laughs> if you make it here, then thank you so much for sticking with us. Yeah, and thanks to all the listeners who like, kept us afloat, to be honest, because when me and Jacob first saw the listener numbers, I don't know about you, I was surprised at how many people listened to this like, or how many downloads we got. So thank you to everybody who listened with us this far. And yeah, we're gonna, I'm just hella excited to get into this finale. And of course, season two is on the horizon now. So now shall we jump into it, Jacob? I'll let you yeah. lead us in. Yeah, let's get into it. So uh, yeah, the scene uh, opens up with Katara uh, just wrecking a kid. Uh, poor kid standing there, uh, about to spar and Katara is just about to destroy him. Uh, Katara from the last episode was already a good waterbender, but even just in the time between the episodes, she's become a real master. Uh, she just starts out by wrecking this poor kid who really has no shot. Um, yeah, then we see that, uh, Paku, after, uh, Katara puts this kid in a tall ice, uh, frozen thing, Paku, releases him by turning it into water and asks if anyone else wants to spar again with Katara. No one responds. Yeah, there's a whole Uh, lineup of guys like battered and bruised and nobody wants to rematch her. Yeah, it seems like Katara's uh, definitely outgrown all these sparring partners. I think... uh, I think she is the master here. Uh, so exciting well, to see Katara grow to her own. Yeah, and we talked about this a lot last episode. And just cool. This whole episode was really like a Katara showcase, especially when the full moon is out. Because like we talked about, like Katara is like, argue, I think it's actually, because I looked this up, by the end of the series, I think Katara is considered like the most powerful waterbender in the world. Or like when she's an adult. So yeah, just like the stuff she does here. Cause this, with this fellow waterbender her age, it was just an absolute flawless victory. I would call it use the MK analogy once more because (laughs) this guy doesn't even land a hit on her. And it turns out like 10 people also didn't land a hit on her because they're just, like I said, there's a whole lineup of people just absolutely battered and bruised from Katara. So Paku, he praises Katara. He's like, you're doing great. This guy has the waterbending of a sea sponge. And then there's the funny sound effect but then he scolds ang who in the corner is lazily playing with momo and then ang shows them what he's learned water bending and makes a little snowman which i kind of like i mean i thought this yeah. was more impressive than they gave it ang and or uh, katara and paku gave it credit for what do you think yeah so paku asks if he wants to take on katara and he's like uh oh i'm not sure i'm a master yet uh but i can do something pretty impressive he turns himself into a snowman, and I was uh, I was surprised that no one found it impressive. The, the amount of control that it takes to get that uh, water frozen on your body is, uh, yeah, that's that's not a hard, or that's not an easy feat. I think, uh, yeah, people are sleeping on Aang. 
True. And then Katara and Paku are just not impressed. They gave him like the stink face here. <laughs> Both of them yeah. just like are not impressed with this at all. So then we cut to like Sokka and Yue hanging out in this next scene. And Sokka takes AJ's advice from our last podcast and he decides to take Yue on a ride on Appa. And then we get this like show you the world like Aladdin like scene here. That's the what a yeah. thing I was thinking of while I was watching it. Any thoughts yeah. about this, Jacob? I mean, I have some thoughts about this scene, but I'll let you go first. Well, I think that he doesn't start off smooth. So Yue is like, oh, you know, are there any palaces on the Southern Water Tribe? Because I guess she's never been. Mm-hmm. And Sokka's like, no, I, like I live on uh, like a block of ice, I think is his response, which like, I don't know. Like, you got to romanticize your life a little bit more. I kinda, like, it seems like, like a big this. letdown. I kind of like this from Sokka, though, because he's actually being, like, realistic. He's not, like, putting on a front. He's being honest. You know what I mean? And so I, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily mind this. Like, you're right. It's not necessarily the most romantic. But at this point, Yue loves him, like, warts and all, or at the very least, like, really likes him, regardless of what he says about his home pull. So I didn't take yeah. too much of it, especially compared to his game last episode. This is still a big That's step fair. up in my opinion not not hard not hard i think that soccer's most impressive thing here is when uh he gets all he gets like a cool air about him when he's like yep yep yeah i, that I, I have really that in my notes well. yeah, cuz i was going to lead up to that cuz then they mount up and then so she's like oh how do you get him to fly and soccer's like yep yep and then he like does the magnum into the camera almost he gives like yeah. the look <laughs> yeah <laughs> I it, like that, that, was too. A, that was a deadly look that was uh he was looking pretty good uh it was so impressive that uh they they get a little close in a second but first uh ua's like oh it's kind of cold up here and Sokka says uh oh it's not too bad when you're with someone uh, like this is just a lie. Like Sokka's never been <laughs> with someone up there. Like he he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's no, just making things up. He just wants a little cuddle time. I don't know what else to say because you're absolutely right. It's not like Ang, um, Katara, and Sokka are ever huddled on Appa for warmth. They're usually Appa's so large. They're usually all sitting on their own section of Appa. So you're you are correct. That's a very good observation on your part. It's not like Sokka's ever sitting next to people, but he's I, just trying to get his Mac on. So. I can't really fault him for that. <laughs> I do think that I wouldn't put it past uh, Sokka and Momo to cuddle. I know that they get in fights. I know that they get annoyed with each other, but I think that uh, they might huddle for war. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Maybe those two hundred percent. But then, so they have this little romantic moment and then they almost kiss actually, but Sokka at the last second moves away and decides, ah, she's in an arranged marriage. He doesn't want to do it. And honestly, this is mature on Sokka's part. Cause I know it took a lot for him to, not kiss Yue in this moment, but the sparks are still flying, even with Yue's impending marriage on the horizon. Yeah, the the connection between them is uh, pretty real. They are definitely uh, head over heels for each other. And uh, right as he pulls away, he starts looking around and he notices that the lovely white snow that was falling quickly becomes gray ash, uh, or I guess snow mixed with ash. Mm-hmm. And they can immediately tell that there's an invasion coming. Meanwhile, uh, the avatar defender of the universe and uh, connection between <laughs> the material world and the spirit world is rolling around in a perfect circle in the snow. 
I like your lead into that. That was very well done. Because <laughs> it's true. But I want to give the animators a lot of credit here because this is still the same scene. But while it's going... So Yue and Sokka, they're like romancing it up. And then the snow falling, actually, you can see it slowly turn from white mm-hmm. to black. And I, I just... The animators did an incredible job here. And also the angelic music from earlier in the romantic scene pales in comparison to this like invasion music. It's like some like John Williams, Star Wars, orchestral score. And I'm almost certain I've yeah. never heard this song in Avatar because it was just like the blaring horns and stuff. It's like, oh, my, you could really feel the tense nature of this invasion that's about to happen in this North Pole. So, yeah, then we see Aang rolling in the snow while Momo chokes on this black soot snowflake. Yeah, yeah poor Momo uh, <laughs> yeah. couldn't recognize it fast enough. Uh, meanwhile, Sokka is able to land and tell Yue that he knows immediately what's happening. Uh-huh. Uh, this is the same soot that happened right before the Fire Nation invaded the Southern Water Tribe. So he knows invasion is coming. Um, it sounds like they both know that they're uh, going to be, uh, the Fire Nation is going to be coming. And I just have to stop here for a second, Zach, uh-huh. and say that the Fire Nation would do so much better if they could stop the soot that gives away their location. Like, the element of surprise is gone. Uh, I feel like there's no wonder they couldn't take over the Northern Water Tribe if they give away their location. Every you're right. Time. I mean, they almost still take it, take it over, but you're correct. I wonder if they're causing it or is it just their ships? Like, is it the smoke from their ships mixing with the snow? Because it's not like they're fire bending on the ocean, really, or like battling people on their way there. I mean, maybe they are. I could be wrong. But I, I was kind of a little confused here. I wondered if it was the smoke from their ships mixing with the snow. But you are correct. Yeah. They lose the element of surprise here. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the smoke from their ships. Like, I don't think they're just, like, firebending so much it's creating ash. Like, I think the the ships create all of the snow. Mm -hmm. It mixes with the snow and then falls again. Um, But I just have to say, like, if they could put some clean air filter, like, maybe some emission standards to get the ships a little cleaner, then, like, they'd be taking over everyone. I feel, like, uh, underrated that they should be, you know making their emissions a little bit better so they get the element of surprise back. (laughs) Yeah, their carbon footprint is just extremely large. (laughs) Well, that's actually one way that you can get rid of the North Pole. They can just, like, increase uh, climate change. They can melt the North Pole, and then they won. That's actually not a bad strat. Wow, true. These are some advanced strats. We should send them to Zhao. Because in this next scene, he's so fun. Well, I mean, we'll just get into it. Zhao is here. He's talking to Iron Man. He's got his head so far up his own keister. Like, I was watching this, and I was like, dude, you just lost an Agni Kai to a child, like a 14-year-old kid, a couple, like, a couple of months before this, like, invasion of the North Pole. Like, how are you so arrogant, yeah. etc.? Because if Zhao had a fatal, like, you know, what's the, the deadly sins or whatever his mm-hmm. fatal flaw would definitely be pride i don't know if you agree with that jacob but i think that's his like deadly sin or like his like, fatal flaw in a way yeah you're totally right here mm-hmm. uh, admiral Zhao is really motivated by that sort of like a uh, selfish need to be uh like i guess seen as important mm-hmm. and i think that shows here like it's different it's interesting how different antagonists want different amounts of uh power like they want power in different ways. Like I feel like some antagonists want like to have control, 
but it seems like Zhao just wants to have like a Power? place in history. Oh um, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That's true. That's very true because he talks about that later in the episode. I think maybe episode two, he's like, I want to be Zhao the conqueror, Zhao the invincible, yeah. Zhao the this. And he's not like at least accomplish the goal that you're setting out to do before you're like dreaming of your riches. You know what I mean? Like at least do, yeah. <laughs> at least do the thing, at least kill the fish before you're calling yourself all of this. Cause that's, that's, I think Zhao's fatal flaw here. And he, he tells Iroh, He's basically bragging. He's like, this will be nothing like your tremendous failure in bossing, say. And Ira, yeah. res- and Ira responds like pretty like honestly, he's like, I hope not for your sake, which is yeah. like pretty ominous for coming from Iroh. Yeah, he kind of stunts on Iroh here because uh, Uncle Iroh is like trying to be kind. He's like mm-hmm. just uh, a warning, like, you know, history may not be as kind to you as you want. And Zhao's like, oh, yeah, you know a lot about that because you, <laughs> you sucked at bossing say you really couldn't clutch that one out. And like, that's just rude. Uh, I don't know why you have to stunt on him when he's helping you. But yeah, true, because Iroh actually is provi- like Iroh's providing him with decent advice here, explaining to him about the moon and stuff. Yeah. But I, I mean, Zhao's going to have a plan for the moon. So we'll get into that throughout the yep. episode. And then Iroh leaves Zhao and then he bumps into Zuko. Zuko's still in his Fire Nation soldier get up. And then he asks Zuko if he has a plan, and Zuko just basically says no. And that's the scene, essentially. I don't know if you want to get into it. Like, there's not yep, much else you know. to glean from this here, but I just thought we'd the, touch the on only, it. Uh, the only thing I wanted to say from this scene is that we still see Zuko with all of his scrapes and bruises, which means that Katara became a waterbending master in the time that it takes, or in less time than it takes for a bruise to go away. So we're talking days, just just <laughs> to mean, be clear. Like I, I think so the she already was clear. kind of master level. I mean, she was already going toe to toe with Paku even before getting any training from him. Because I assume they probably maybe they stayed on the North Pole like a week. So Katara, like she's just stunting on these other waterbenders in the North Pole and has just probably been beating them up for a week. In fact, I'd yeah. honestly say like Katara might not have even improved that much throughout the week because how much practice could she get when she's like far and away better than every single one of the people she's sparring with. <laughs> so no, I don't know how fair. much she's improved in the past little while. But yeah, you're well, right. Zuko late, still later has the Zuko, same script. Later Zuko does say that she's uh, improved a bit. So uh, I think maybe uh, new techniques, but maybe not like a ton of time. I think her raw power is like so good that all she needs to do is know the techniques and that's enough to master. Them. Yes, that's a very good point, because I, I agree with that as well. As long as Katara has like the actual technical capability down, like her raw power yeah. is ridiculous. Like she has everything you want in a waterbender, essentially. Yeah. Her, her like, now, draft combine or whatever in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no weaknesses, perfect fighter. So there yeah, we exactly. go. She's a uh, round one, pick one. Definitely <laughs> exactly. Top That's what I was thinking. Of. I was thinking of one of those little like combine blurbs. But continue. Yeah, Sorry to derail the conversation. Uh, yeah. So no worries. Uh, <laughs> so we go back to the Northern Water Tribe and we see that people are getting ready uh, to go to some meeting where they're going to talk about the war. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is not the time or the place, but UA is like, uh, hey, uh, I can't see you anymore. And it's like, like, sure, like maybe you need to have this conversation, but not right now because there is war happening. Like maybe you should, you know, settle the war first before you decide to, 
you know, uh, friend zone him completely. <laughs> I thought this was completely inappropriate. What did you think, Zach? Yeah, I think no, it, it's not inappropriate in the sense that like she can't have this conversation because you you are correct. Like she should be having this conversation at another time, not when you know an invasion is happening, the Fire Nation are at your doorstep. Like there's yeah. more important matters at hand. But she tells Sokka she's like they can't just be friends because she likes him too much. And Sokka basically pouts, and she was like, he's like, you don't even seem to like your the man you're engaged to which spoiler alert he's a huge a-hole so (laughs) i can understand why she doesn't like him and then she says she has duties to her father and her tribe and the spirit of the ocean and spirit of the moon like so basically ua just denies sokka like any chance at a relationship here sad for sokka but what can he do i mean he still got suki so he's still living a good life in my opinion I mean, that's fair, but Yue doesn't know how this is going to shake out. Like, mm-hmm. maybe her betrothed is going to get killed in battle, and she's able to be with the person she loves. Like, I mean, he almost does. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, why close off the uh, close off that possibility now? Just, like, wait. See where things roll out, and then make your decisions afterwards. I thought this was completely inappropriate. I wonder, I wonder uh, why the chief's daughter has to be in an arranged marriage. I wonder why the customs are like that. Because usually, arranged marriages are like... At least when I see it in books, it's like the family of the daughter doesn't have too much money. So they have to like marry their daughter in exchange for like some cows or like some money. Um, I feel like I see that often, but. Yeah, I feel like royalty also has to get into arranged marriages. Oh, you're right. Like Cleopatra and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 no, you are correct. They do get into arranged marriages often. Yeah. Well, anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, we go back to this uh, big gathering hall where a bunch Mm -hmm. of people are in the meeting. Uh, the chief of the Northern Water Tribe tells everyone that uh, there's going to be war. Uh, and he actually, he g- gives a terrible speech. He's like, some of you aren't going to make it, make it anymore. Like, not very inspiring. But then he calls on the ocean and moon spirits to be with them as they fight. The next thing he does is he asks for people to volunteer for a dangerous mission, to which Sokka screams that he's going to do it. Now, we see that no one else in this whole hall like screams and announces they're going to do it. They just sign up. So do you think Sokka was embarrassed that he decided to scream and everyone else just like (laughs) silently walked up and took the mission? Uh, I don't think he was embarrassed because he's so passionate about his, and I know you're half tongue in cheek, but I don't think he was too embarrassed because he's so passionate about fighting the Fire Nation here. Like, he definitely just wants to be a part of this operation. And we haven't really talked too much about this chief, Yue's father. He's honestly not the most charismatic chief. He's almost more like introspective and philosophical in a way. Because, I mean, we'll get into it. Is he talking to Aang in the next scene where he's talking about the impending battle uh yeah i believe so yeah yeah so then just the way he talks to ang i was like oh wow he's like that's not only how like a chief i don't know it was so like philosophical i guess but before we get to that so Sokka immediately volunteers and he looks back at ua first he gets so the people who volunteer get these red markings on their head and then Sokka goes up gets a marking on his head and then he looks back at ua who immediately gets emotional she starts tears start falling down her face because she doesn't want to see Sokka go into battle and potentially lose his life like even though she can't be with Sokka, she still wishes is the best for him so yeah emotions are um, running high all around yeah definitely uh Mm -hmm. i think it's very brave that Sokka signs up for this but i don't know i would be mortified if i was the only one to be like yeah i'll do it and everyone (laughs) else just like takes it uh quietly anyway so so you don't even care about going like you're not embarrassed about going on the mission or anything just the fact that you like yelled and were yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like, have you ever been to a place where like, you mm-hmm. think you're supposed to clap, but instead like no one actually claps and you like started clapping and like everyone else just sits there silently. Actually, I do the opposite. So it's like, so when I'm in a group and people are clapping, sometimes I'll like hide my hands and continue clapping obnoxiously, even as the claps end. So like, <laughs> I'm just the last what? person clapping in the audience, like super what? loud. Cause I had, there's this way I can clap and I won't do it to the microphone where like, if you clap with your palms, you can like clap super loud. So I don't know. Sometimes me and my friends will just have like contests. We'll like, we'll see who could be the last person clapping <laughs> as like we continue. Like, cause you know, like some, so the audience will stop clapping you'll hear like those like random people still clapping we're just essentially yep. those people so i kind of do the opposite in that regard and also i'm just a naturally loud person so i kind of i probably embarrass myself like Sokka did here a million times so i, I do I'm not understand you at all uh if you <laughs> decide to clap like uh if you're going rogue clapping after everyone else is done well, I, I just don't get you like i, I mean wait it's just it's wow. just a stupid thing we do with my friends like honestly it's very like dumb it's unexplained i don't know why we do it we just started <laughs> it once way back when so i mean all right uh more power <laughs> to you remind me never to go to any sort of like performance or concert or anything well with we you, talked about that, how i never go to musicals maybe this is why i've never yeah been to yeah one. definitely not uh <laughs> the etiquette is not on point anyway uh we go back to avatar where uh everyone's just kind of sitting around waiting and the chief here, this is what you mentioned earlier, tells mm-hmm. Aang that uh, the stillness before battle is unbearable. And this is very relatable. I've never been in battle, but a lot of times, like right before something stressful happens, the sort of like waiting right before it is just so hard because you know that it's going to be really intense afterwards, but you can't do anything about it now. And that's one of the worst feelings. Almost as bad as clapping alone. <laughs> Almost, but not quite. Yeah, Almost. you're <laughs> you're right, because... But what I was saying with um with this chief, he's so like philosophical because this is like a poet almost. He's like the stillness before battle is unbearable, a quiet dread. Like we have a modern day Dylan Thomas over here in this like <laughs> with this water tribe chief. I'm like, oh, I mean, he's just speaking in prose. I thought that's why I just I don't know why this scene like stuck in my head for some reason. Yeah, uh, definitely impressive. Uh, maybe I, I didn't pick up on how philosophical it was, but no, I mean, it's I just, totally po- it just poetic, I guess, is a yeah. better term to be using yeah, here. Yeah. And then Aang has this badass quote here because he talks about he wasn't there when the Fire Nation attacked his people, and this time he's going to make a difference. And like, man, Aang is prepared to lay siege to the Fire Nation. And he's, like, ready to fight. And spoiler alert, Aang just straight up bodies the whole Fire Nation next episode. <laughs> so he, like, yeah. stays true to his word here. Yeah, he really does. Uh, but not not before a lot of the Northern Water Tribe gets demolished. Uh, so right as uh, people are starting, we see that the fireballs start getting launched towards the wall of the um, Northern Water Tribe. It starts hitting the inside of the town. Lots of fireballs are just hitting the, um, like hitting all over. And, uh, I'm not sure, uh, Zach, but can you guess what my takeaway was from this? I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you my takeaway and I'm going to see if you have something similar because I have right. like a Jacob esque takeaway from this scene. You know Perfect. the Fire Nation is coming on a ship. You know, you've battled the Fire Nation before. At least Ankatara and Sokka have. 
How can you not prepare for flaming rocks? Like, I understand not being prepared for, like, these steampunk ships and stuff. That's mm-hmm. fair. Like, th- those are things you haven't encountered or you've only encountered once. But how, like, this fire, this flaming rock lands a direct hit. And how are, like, these water, but how is Katara not able to just immediately parry this, like, flaming rock that gets catapulted? So, I don't know. That was my takeaway from this. I don't know if you had something similar, but maybe you have a different but equally nonsensical take from what the group does in this situation so take take it away jacob i think mine is dumber Uh, you make a great point uh Mm -hmm. like definitely if you're waterbenders and there's going to be flaming fireballs like you got to be ready for that they have a bunch of spearmen at the front line yeah because it's like five fireballs hit until ang ends up parrying one like i know i'm skipping ahead a little bit but he ends up like flying out on oppa and parrying one but i just don't understand how they let like five flaming rocks hit but continue what's your point here okay here's my takeaway so in like one of the first episodes we saw that Sokka in the southern water tribe had all of his makeup taken away immediately when getting in water and you know i remarked that we needed some waterproof makeup here we get to the northern northern water tribe who's like decades maybe even a century ahead of the southern water tribe in in terms of technology and they still don't have waterproof makeup Sokka gets hit into the ice and immediately the makeup's gone like what are these people doing Maybe I, I waterproof makeup is just a 21st century invention, though, or like 20th century. Like, maybe it, it just doesn't so exist easy. in their universe yet. All but then right, again, well. Kiyoshi must have waterproof makeup, I feel. Actually, yeah. no, no, no. In the books, it did smudge. Her makeup smudged a bunch. It's just in the Avatar TV show, whenever we see, like, her and Aang and all that, her makeup is just in perfect condition. But even in the books, her makeup got messy. So, um, right, yeah, I well. guess waterproof makeup just doesn't exist in the universe, much to your chagrin, Jake. <sighs> it's very frustrating. <laughs> well, But, yes, Aang. I mean, we'll start talking about this battle because <laughs> – <laughs> Both me and you have just gone off on that with our own takes on this. But um, so yeah, they all line up at the top of this ice bridge and they look at the horizon and they see the single flaming rock come on the horizon. And like, yeah, I just don't understand why they don't have like even a huge ice shield in general. Because I thought like not even just for the... Um, the rocks but even if you bend a big ice shield because they have all these benders then at least you're providing the firebenders with like another layer that they have to get yeah. through in a way so i thought they could have done that as well and uh so katara gets stuck in the snow and i like the way she like blasts herself out of it because she gets rocked and flies into the snow and pushes up out of it and then ang flies out on oppa like i was talking about earlier he knocks back this rock and he takes out like he jumps on this ship and he takes out like 10 men with this air blast and like also i don't know if you noticed jacob but for some reason the fire nation soldiers on this ship in particular are wearing like night armor and they're also wielding hammers rather than the usual, like, level one spear-wielding grunts. So maybe these are, like, the level two hammer-wielding grunts is what I thought. Yeah, I think these are maybe even level three because, as we'll <laughs> see, uh, one of them ends up trapping Aang uh, in a second. But, yeah, like, I, it was weird that we sort of get away from all of the spearmen and we get people with hammers. Like, it seemed totally, uh, totally odd, but... Yeah, um, Aang jumps because down. They, yeah, no, he, to, to your point, they just didn't seem like Fire Nation. That's yeah. why. They, so I agree with that completely. Yeah. It did seem odd. But continue. Uh, so Aang jumps off. Uh, he uses his glider to go down. And he starts taking out these fire pol- uh, or fireball catapults uh, one at a time. Um, he does these in interesting ways. So as people are running up to attack him, the first one he just destroys with some air. Uh, like, I guess he just, like, slices it. 
Um, the second one, he get he like hits it with a hammer, and as it shoots, he has it go into the hull of the ship, which that's a deadly blow. That ship's going down eventually. Yeah, and I like that. That was very intuitive and smart from Aang, because I, I, I forgot about this. He like shoots the fireball directly in the hull of the ship, and you're right, because that instantly will do that ship ain't, ain't going out on sea again for sure. That was very yeah. smart. And then we see this, like, how do you want to describe the leader of this ship, Jacob? I'll let you well, take it away. Well, first, uh, quickly, he the most impressive move that I saw was he ties two of the catapults together. He connects the like one swinging mechanism to another catapult, so the one catapult uh, shoots the other catapult and breaks both of them at once. Uh, I thought that was like pretty efficient, so I thought that was uh, important to point out. Let's see. So this uh, hammer wielding guy. So most of the people with hammers have one hammer, but this dude's got two. And uh, he he looks a little bit overweight. Uh, he's got some uh, flowing hair. Uh, I, I really don't have a good comparison for him. I'm yeah, trying I mean, to think well, of well, for me, it's like there's people. not much to describe him. He's kind of like the mini boss of this ship. If we yes, keep using yes. our video game analogy, but what's crazy is his weapon. I've never seen like hammers on chains like this. It's almost like, <laughs> like it's like these dual wield hammers on chains is the way I only way I can really describe it. And surprisingly, he actually manages to capture egg he used he's yes. able to shoot his hammers out and, and like chain up egg but luckily appa swoops in and disposes <laughs> of this man pretty quickly and this was a weird scene because i've actually never seen appa use his like paw or hand or whatever you want to call it and i didn't realize his paw is this big because he's able to just grab this man i guess appa has like he's got three fingers and his one opposable thumb and then he just like dumps yep. him overboard <laughs> and what yeah. did you think of this from appa here yeah so uh, appa picks up this straight guy and i'm pretty sure he kills them because as we see people can't necessarily swim in the avatar universe and he drops them from a far height like at the top of the ship so i think this hammer man mini boss dude is just gone down for the count uh but yeah uh i thought that it was also pretty funny that oppa's got some opposable thumbs uh well i mean it just surprised yeah. me to be honest i, I, I didn't because you never really see oppa use his like hands in this fashion i guess yeah no i i think that's uh totally fair uh, then we see a bunch of the waterbenders come and they freeze the ship. It's actually uh, looks exactly like the ship from the first and second episodes, the mm-hmm. one in the Southern Water Tribe. Um, I think I'm, I'm sure that some kids are going to go on that ship in 100 years as well and get in trouble. Yeah, I, I thought this was weird because it took like so many waterbenders for them to upend this one ship. Did you notice yes. that? Because it took like, there was like a, but there's multiple, there was like at least five of them on canoes on either side. And then like they bend up these icebergs and like are able to up, upend this ship. But if it takes this many of you to defeat one ship, how the, how the heck are you guys going to take out all 50 of these ships is what well, I thought here. Yeah. So the next thing we see is we zoom out and I counted over 120 ships. Uh, really? Granted, I got bored of counting after I got to 120, but it's close to 120 ships. Uh, so they really are going to be in the thick of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, because the thing with the Fire Nation is like even with their low level grunts at the end of the day even in war it's a numbers game like if it wasn't for ang going into the avatar state here the yeah. fire nation would have 100 percent been able to just take over the northern water tribe because for sometimes sure. with these warriors it's quantity over quality and they have the most disposable like they just have this like 120 you're saying because last episode i counted at the end of the episode i counted 50 so i yep. guess they've somehow doubled their fleet in size <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, no, I agree because I, I counted uh, about 50 last time too, but this time, yeah, over 120. And I got to say like uh, that, yeah, they they really came for it this time. They they were pulling out all the stops on this one. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. So then this next scene, we see the secret missions that Sokka gets recruited for. It's basically, I mean, we can yada yada this scene a little bit. So the Northern Water Tribe soldiers, they plan to infiltrate the Fire Nation and they have these like Fire Nation soldiers. But Sokka tells them the Fire Nation uniforms don't look like that anymore. He was like, when did you guys even capture these soldiers? And then the chief has a low key funny line because Sokka's like, when did you capture them? A hundred years ago? And the chief is like, no. 85 like the most like yeah. sad tone ever like because like, he knows Sokka is right he's like basically conceding and is like yeah we captured these guys ages ago these uniforms are probably not what they're wearing now yeah I'm not sure if I got into this before but uh mm-hmm. whenever they go to the uh southern air temple the mask that they use is the same as the one they use currently mm-hmm. um which means that like, so a hundred years ago, when they took over the Southern Air Temple, they used the same uniforms as they use today. But now, or like 85 years ago, they switched to other uniforms. I think that means that they're using some like retro throwback uniforms right now. <laughs> it's just uh, throwback night in the Fire Nation. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, the Fire Nation's like, uh, you know, oh, let's get back to our glory days and does like a throwback. It's like, when it, uh, like a football team or basketball team, like goes back to the last time they won a Super Bowl or whatever the equivalent is, they're like, yeah, yeah let's wear the uniforms from like, uh, 30 years ago. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's also like sometimes sports teams in every sport, they'll have like their modern jerseys are not that popular. So then they'll have a throwback night of like an old like design of their jersey. I feel the Memphis Grizzlies do that a lot because nobody likes their current jerseys and everyone (laughs) likes their old Vancouver jerseys. So you see them with the throwbacks a lot. But yeah, we'll continue with this scene here. So the man who's leading this mission or the child, I guess, teenager is named Han and him and Sokka butt heads for a bit. And the chief lets it slip that Han is the one who's marrying Yue. And Sokka obviously is not too happy about hearing this. And like, of course, because Han seems like a huge like prick. I don't know how else to word it, to be honest. Yeah, he uh, he does not seem like he uh, mispronounces Sokka's name here, calls him Soko <laughs> like he's from Star Wars. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's not the type of guy that I think that you'd want to uh, marry someone like Yue. Like Yue seems pretty cool. Uh, Han just seems like you know your basic uh, jerk essentially. Yes, because I feel like Sokka, if like if she was marrying a man hypothetically who was at least a genuine decent person even if she didn't love him then i feel like Sokka would not be as offended but the fact that she's about to marry this like just idiot essentially as yeah. we see later on like this just dumb moron yeah. i can see why Sokka is not happy because he turns away and like basically sulks yeah, no, that's true. Uh, right before that, I think uh, one funny thing is uh, the chief says that they need to identify the person who's leading the attack. And Sokka says, uh, Admiral Zhao, middle-aged, big sideburns, bigger temper. Uh, I think that's good. I, that's I would a good like description, to, yeah. Yeah, I would like to, you know, like source uh, people I know and see what my description would be. Like, Jacob, like, kind of young, and I want to know, like, what my, like, last things are. I'll think about it and uh, get back to you. <laughs> I, I'll probably think of some unflattering things for myself, but I'm too self-deprecating on these podcasts, so <laughs> I'll just keep yeah. whatever I was about to say to myself. So we'll move, <laughs> we'll right. move, we'll move to the next scene. So Iroh's talking to Zhao and like he's giving Zhao some pretty obvious advice. And lo and behold, Zhao actually agrees. 
He's like, he's finally learned to listen and utilize these basic military tactics. So Iroh explains that Zhao should stop his attack once the sun goes down. Because once the moon comes up, the waterbenders will be too powerful. And Zhao surprisingly listens. Like, look at that. He finally learned how to utilize basic military tactics. But Zhao then ominously says he's working on a solution to this moon problem that he has on his hands. Yeah, and I have to say, if you gave me a hundred guesses the first time that I watched this, I would never have guessed that Zhao's plan is ultimately to kill the moon. Uh, I'm sure, like, you could have given me maybe like a thousand guesses before that's what I got to, but it is really ominous here. He does say, like, oh, I'm working on a solution. It's like, uh, it's a bit spooky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It is a little bit spooky, scary, skeleton like. So, (laughs) Aang Aang flies uh, back in this next scene. He sees, he says he took out like at least a dozen ships and there's still way more. And then Yue tells him, he's like, well, you must, she or she is like, well, you must fight. You're the avatar. And this, I want to talk about this a little bit because I'm like, wow, Yue, you got to give Egg a little break. Now, I know you turn into the moon next episode and you put your life at the lo- on the line. But Aang right now is doing all the work. He's the one who took out 12 ships. And there's still, I'm like, so much more, so many more ships. And Aang is doing, and then up to this, up to this point in the battle, Yue has done literally nothing. So, like, Aang is just one child. Like, of course he's going to struggle with this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think he's done great up to this point in the battle what did you think yeah, of this th- line this is Yue? not the way to motivate ang like I ang agree. did yeah. his part he's clearly exhausted and Yue's mm-hmm. like well you have to do better like okay like he got it he's gonna try why doesn't but- she just say that everybody else do better because ang is the one who's <laughs> carrying like the whole load here essentially yeah yeah exactly uh yeah the next thing that we see is uh we go back to zhao's ship and we have uh, zuko He's now ready to go uh, into the Water Tribe to capture the Avatar himself. Uh, and I think that we have Iroh come in and uh, really, I, I guess, uh, give some words of wisdom and try to wish uh, Zuko well on his journey. Yeah, and I really enjoyed this scene because, and I actually clipped it, so we'll play it in just a second. But I'll, I'll provide a little prefacing because I just think... Um, and this perfectly encapsulates Zuko and Iroh's relationship. Like Iroh's like telling him, Oh, make sure the, you, this net is tightly woven and octopus can squeeze through the tiniest hole. And like Iroh's telling Zuko he nags him because he lost his son. And like, man, this really tugged at my heartstrings. So I'll just play it for you right now. For an octopus, my nephew, you need a tightly woven net or he will squeeze through the tiniest hole and escape. I don't need your wisdom right now, Uncle. I'm sorry. I just nag you because, well, ever since I lost my son... Uncle, you don't have to say it. I think of you as my own. I know, Uncle. We'll meet again. After I have the Avatar. Remember your breath of fire. It could save your life out there. I will. And put your hood up. Keep your ears warm. I'll be fine. Yeah, so this scene to me is just such a powerful scene, I thought. And like I said, just perfectly sums up their relationship, I feel like. Because this is the first mention, I think, we get of Iroh's son. But he yes. lose, He actually, the reason he stopped his siege on Bossing, say, 
which the, we get, we'll get into in season two, was not because he was losing necessarily, but was actually his son ended up dying in the battle. And Iroh was so heartbroken and crushed that he could not bring himself to lead the siege anymore. And for that reason, he stopped it. And Zuko knows that Zuko says he doesn't even have to say it. And throughout the whole series, Iroh functions essentially as a surrogate father to Zuko. And you can tell he truly cares about him and is like Zuko is like a son to him. So what were your yeah. thoughts on this scene, Jacob? Yeah, I thought this was a good scene. Uh, I, it's really sweet, the moment between uh, mm-hmm. Uncle Iroh and Zuko. But I also like how uh, Uncle Iroh has such, like, uh, I don't know, like, not helpful advice. Like, <laughs> remember, you can breathe fire. Like, make sure that you put your hood up. Like, these are things Zuko knows. And it's so relatable. Uh, I'm at my grandparents right now uh, for the holidays. And uh, my grandfather's just like this. Like, anytime I'm about to go out, he's like, oh, make sure you, like, you take this road and bring your wallet and make sure your phone's charged. Like, all these things that are, like, yeah, like, uh, pretty obvious. But it's, like, sweet to have that sort of care where, like, they're little things. But, they just, like, people that care about you just want to make sure that you're uh, well off. No, and, and my mom is exactly like this, too. And that's why, again, this is so good from Iroh because it just shows how much he truly cares about him where he's basically like parenting him here and providing him with all this little advice even though Zuko basically knows all of it so we'll continue here so the next scene Sokka basically gets into a fisticuffs with Han because Han (laughs) is talking about he's talking about Yue and he's like treating her like almost an object like an object like a fancy sports car he's like yeah I'm gonna marry her and like it's gonna help my standing in the tribe dude like I don't even care about her man like and like they couldn't make Han more unlikable if they tried because he also he mispronounced Sokka earlier Sokka as Sokka and now he pronounces at the end of this pronounces Admiral Zhao he calls him Admiral Cho and like Sokka and Sokka that's almost like how do you go from Zhao to Cho? Like that, he's not even trying at that point. Zed and like CH are not even similar sounding. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yes, linguistically, uh, they're not not at all the same. I think it's yeah. funny that we go from this sweet scene between Uncle Iroh <laughs> and Zuko to just Han being a jerk. He's treating UA like it's a job that comes with like a bunch yeah. of benefits. It's like, oh yeah, you know, like the job's fine, but it's really the benefits I'm in for. And I think that Sokka's right to call him a jerk without a soul. Uh, and then they they start fighting. Uh, I think that you, uh, that Sokka takes a lot of offense because he really likes Yue, and to know that Han's in it for the the perks, like the uh, you know the lunch benefits and the, like, I'm sure like the company car, whatever else it is. Uh, yeah, like he's not okay with that, and uh, he just starts fighting him. Yeah, and yeah, kudos to Sokka for standing up for Yue here, even though she's not here to hear the BS that Han is spewing. Um, so basically in this next scene, so Zuko, he's, he's traveling by himself. He's looking for Aang on foot and he notices some seal turtles going into a pond of ice. And he wonders, he's like, where they go up for air. And so he hops in and I'm just thinking, damn, he's a firebender. He must not, I mean, probably doesn't have a resistance to water. But he's able to, he's swimming in what must be like minus 50 degrees Celsius water. This is like water in the North Pole. Yeah. Like Zuko could do that polar bear freeze challenge or whatever <laughs> that people do no problem. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, see, I was actually thinking to myself, like, Zuko gets really lucky that the turtle seals actually need to come up for air. Because, like, I like maybe he knows the uh, biology of these animals well, but I would be scared to be like, oh, maybe they can also breathe water. Like, you don't know these animals very well. Like, what if they could just breathe underwater and he just no, dies because they don't come right. up for air? 
You're right, because I'm kind of like Sam Cook in the sense that I don't know much about biology. So I would not have known that these seal turtles can come up for air pretty soon. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, Zuko does get quite lucky. Also, this is kind of a stupid point on my part, but how many turtle portmanteau animals are there in the Avatar universe? Because we have the turtle ducks. We have these seal turtle things, and there's also the lion turtles, and these are all three separate species. So I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, the the uh, writers kind of got a little lazy when they're just combining turtles with everything. I think it's just so easy to put a turtle shell on something and yes. be like it's a different animal. Uh, I, I feel like that's why turtles so easy because you know it's harder to combine other different types of animals, but you put a shell on something and you're like, hey, it's a turtle. Done. <laughs> true. True. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, I do this thing in TV shows where I try to hold my breath anytime people are underwater. And I have to say, I tried like during the break and like while Zuko is doing this and I I would have died. Uh, Zuko's breath control is way better than mine is. Yeah, I see. I'm fat and lazy when I watch anything, so I don't even try to hold my breath. (laughs) I just think it'll be futile. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. Well. Uh, and then we get to the, uh, we see a shot of the moon, uh, hanging in the night sky, uh, just like fully there. And UA is able to say, um, something about like the spirit of waterbending. Uh, she links the, uh, waterbending to the moon and says that the moon is the first teacher of waterbending. And I think this is the first time that we hear this. So I think that's like a really interesting connection. Yeah, just like how the firebenders get their power from the sun, the waterbenders get their power from the moon. And that's why, like, waterbending and firebending are the most obviously contrasting styles. So it's interesting how they get power from the sun and the moon, respectively. And it makes it makes sense, actually. Sun's super hot, gives the firebenders power. The moon controls the tides and all that. So this is actually, like, kind of lines up with real-world science, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... It's uh, it's as close as you can get for uh, bending, which doesn't exist. But. Yeah, so basically Aang and Yue and Katara are talking. Aang realizes, he's like, okay, I need to communicate with the spirits. And Yue says, oh, she basically like, oh, I might know a guy or know a place in this instance. <laughs> because Yue show, explains to Aang that she knows the most spiritual place in the North Pole. And she takes Aang to this, like, Garden of Eden shrine. And, man, this is, like, giving the Avatar some Avatar state performance-enhancing drugs, I thought. Because once (laughs) Aang is able to meditate in this shrine, like I thought this is like that clinic where they go, like the baseball players go to in like Florida or whatever, the one where like Alex Rodriguez and a bunch like LeBron was also rumored to have been going there because I just feel like Aang's powers are so enhanced after this. So that was what kind of the vibe I got from it. Yeah, that's a that's a funny uh, reference to say it's like a, a PED for uh, for the Avatar. <laughs> I mean, basically I think- is because prior to this, we don't really see him able to go to the Avatar state when he wants to. But I feel like from this point forward, whenever there's trouble, Aang is basically able to call on the Avatar state whenever. Yeah, I think that the one issue I had with this uh, like spirit oasis is that the mm-hmm. entrance looks more like a wine cellar than anything <laughs> else. Like this place looks kind of ratty. Uh, I was not very impressed with it personally. Really? I don't know. Once they actually get into the the entrance, it yeah. looked great. But once they get into the garden, I thought it was like Garden of Eden-esque, almost like no, utopian, I think, serene, I guess. It wasn't yeah, I think, that's, I think that's totally fair. And I think like as soon as Aang sees the grass, he's almost as excited as when Toph gets on solid ground. <laughs> Uh, but I just think that the entrance was uh, was a bit weak. Like, I think it was like a wine cellar where you put your like hundred year old wines or whatever. 
Yeah, so we'll we'll continue moving on here because we we're already. I didn't realize we're already close to an hour in. We still got another episode due after this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we'll keep moving. So Zuko comes up for air in this next seat, and you can tell he barely made it. Like he's struggling, he's gasping for air, and he immediately takes Iroh's advice and he's breathing fire to warm himself up. And I chuckled here because the seal turtles are making a bunch of noise, and he like scolds them. He's like, "Be quiet!" And they shut up. And then two seconds later, they just start making the noise again. So I kind of yeah. like that little gag with Zuko and the rowdy animals. Yeah, they listen to him for a bit, but uh, not very long. Uh, the next thing we see is that the chief wants Sokka for a special mission. Sokka feels a bit, uh, I guess, I don't know, unappreciated. So at first he's being a bit sassy, but the chief says that he wants him to guard Princess Yue and Sokka is totally on board. Uh, I think that was probably the easiest ask you could have uh, given Sokka. Yeah, Sokka tries to play it off. He's like, oh, I mean, sure, I could guard Yue. But, you know, yeah. in deep doubt, he's really chomping at the bit to be exactly. spending some quality moments with Yue. So meanwhile, yeah. Aang is meditating. And going into the spirit world, well, at least he's trying to meditate, but Yue and Katara just won't shut up in the background. And honestly, Egg is right to be like angry because he's trying to get deep into his meditation. And there are just some chatterboxes in the background here. Yeah, definitely not helping him. I mean, Yue saying that it's on the Avatar to essentially win this fight, but she can't even uh, like let him get into the spirit world. She's like providing commentary in the background. But eventually, Aang is able to get to the spirit world. The fish starts circling around, and it turns into the yin and yang symbol, and he's able to uh, understand, like uh, I guess, what's happening, and he's he kind of gets into the spirit of it. Yeah, um, and I didn't realize when Aang goes crosses over to the spirit world, I kind of thought he just went unconscious. I forget his like eyes glow and his arrow tattoo glows. Is this yeah. like the standard going forward? Like whenever he's meditating, goes into the spirit world, his eyes glows. Maybe I just maybe I just didn't notice it in earlier no, episodes. Yeah, to I, I do think that this is the uh, standard because it's like the mm-hmm. same uh, when he goes into the avatar state as well. Um, and at the, this is just like the worst timing. Cause essentially as soon as, uh, he goes into the spirit world, Zuko, uh, pops up and starts battling Katara. Uh, Yue dashes out to go, uh, I guess get help. Um, and Katara and Zuko are fighting. Zuko immediately like recognizes that Katara has gotten a lot better. Uh, she's using some like really good techniques. Essentially she's able to, uh, take any of the fire attacks and like immediately neutralize them with water. And there are multiple times where she sends like constant barrages at him where she's able to freeze him, uh, in some sort of thing. The first is a sphere, which he burns with a uh, fire. And then even a, a few seconds later, um, they're fighting and, uh, she sends like a water blast at him. He sends some fire. She sends a huge water blast and freezes him at the top, just like she did to the student at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, I mean, I have, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I feel like Katara basically parries almost all of Zuko's attacks and is able to mount her own offense and trap him by the end of this. But I have a point I want to say. So yeah. I want to talk to all the Zutara shippers out there and explain to me. Because uh, when I watch this scene, I want you to tell me how these two characters that are at odds for such a large portion of the show, how could they see a scene like this and say, oh, these are the two that are going to fall in love? And I feel like even after Zuko's part of the gang, Katara's like the last person to accept him. But I digress. I just, I just don't understand how the people ship Zuko and Katara, to be honest. But Well, I think that you can be at odds with someone and still uh, learn to like them eventually. 
Uh, True, you know, but I, the, uh, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Because obviously these guys will befriend people they fight. But exactly. I mean, just, but at the same time, Katara just she carries so much like hatred towards Zuko for such a long period of time. I feel like it's tough for those feelings to then turn into love. Like, I feel like Katara will end up accepting Zuko into the group. But I mean, that's like way into season three. But I feel like, I don't know. In my opinion, there's like no way of characters that are this at odds and not even just in here, but season two and season three could somehow fall in love by the end of this. So, Well, hey, just like Zuko is about to melt Katara's ice that she traps him <laughs> in, I think that Zuko can melt Katara's heart. <laughs> that's a really good metaphor. But we'll continue. So she actually, Katara basically wins this battle here. She encases is Zuko in ice. Zuko almost gets to Aang, but then she Katara hits him with this huge ice wave and freezes him. And then I guess we cut to what must be the morning because Z- Zuko basically he tells Katara he's like, "You rise with the moon, I rise with the sun." And then the sun peeks out from the clouds, and while Katara pretty much bested him, Aang must have been meditating for a long time because Zuko frees himself when the sun comes up, and part one ends. Of this uh, yep. episode. And yeah, Zuko's that, able to capture Aang here. Yeah, I think that uh, Zuko's able to beat Katara only because of the sun, which just yes, shows yes. how strong uh, Katara's gotten over the past uh, few episodes. Yeah, because Katara's winning like this battle for like 80% of it, and Zuko's basically able to get a sneaky little victory at the end. I know you're not a big wrestling guy, but this is like when a wrestler's winning a battle or, or a match, and then one of the other wrestlers sneaks up from behind and like quickly pins him, and then the ref does the quick one, two, three. I feel like that's how Zuko gets this victory here because Katara's winning for yeah. most of it. And then for, at the final, the final scene we get from this episode, the camera pans out, and you see Zuko has carried Ang to the top of. Of this huge snowy hill and the episode ends with like ang draped over zuko's shoulders into the blizzard yep uh i think we'll just jump right into the second part yeah and uh, then we'll just i guess we'll rate the, uh, the two finales as a whole or we can give them yep. separate ratings at the end if you want your call uh yeah i think that we can rate this as like one finale i think that they aired at the same time and we can uh Okay, sure. Lump okay, them perfect. together if that's all right yeah uh, no yeah so so we jump right back into the action um, what we see is, uh, yeah, I think that the first thing that we see is, uh, that all of the people, Sokka, Katara, Princess Yue, are all getting on Appa trying to look for Aang. And, uh, Katara says that Momo's gonna stay there in case Aang gets back, but, like, stay there to do what? I have no idea what Momo's gonna do here. Like, maybe yeah, they just he's didn't gonna, want Momo he's gonna to fight join. tooth and nail. That's what Momo's okay. gonna do. You see what he does to Zhao later in the episode. Yeah. All is lost until Momo climbs on Zhao's head, Zhao the Conqueror's head, and starts wailing down blows. So, I, you gotta give Momo a little more credit, Jacob. I gotta say, that's more of a bit than anything. <laughs> that's more annoying. More of a I know, I know. I, I, I'm fight. being quite hyperbolic. Yeah, Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then we see Zuko's carrying Aang. Uh, yeah, like pretty impressive to be in a blizzard carrying someone who's like, I guess he's a child, but he's not that small. Uh, just like sludging through the snow. Um, and mind you, Zuko's still injured from his like brush with death from Zhao's assassination attempt. So like you're saying, this is quite impressive. The fact that he's able to yeah. do this with all his injuries. 
Yeah, but then we get Aang in the spirit world. And mm-hmm. for some reason, everything in the spirit world is kind of like turd colored. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if you noticed this, but like I, I was surprised because usually like or at least when I think about the spirit world, I think it's like many bright colors or like more nature. But this was all kind of like brown and like swamp and I don't know. I yeah, was maybe this is just where this like Rafiki-esque spirit lives in like the turd color part of the spirit world. Because I didn't yeah. notice it when I was watching, but you are kind of right. There was a lot of shades of brown here. So yeah. basically, Aang runs into this like monkey-like spirit who has this beard that connects with his <laughs> hair. Almost, I don't know if you ever watched Ned's Declassified School Survival yes. Guy. Remind me of that like ugly teacher whose like beard connects with his hair in like disgusting fashion. That's basically yeah. this spirit. And then Aang's chasing this firefly in yeah. the spirit world. I guess there's not much going on here uh, to start. What did you do? Well, have any thoughts besides the turd colored background? Uh, yeah, I, I thought that this like meditating uh, like monkey spirit was a bit rude. Uh, just wanting for Aang to go away. He tells him to chase a f- firefly, firefly. But I'm not even sure that the firefly is actually leading him to where he wants to go. Mm-hmm. I think like well, that monkey was just telling him to get lost. You're right. So that's, that's a bit rude. Th- Yes, you're right. And one thing, and we'll actually get into this with Ko, I think. I think spirits and humans in the Avatar world have a very contentious relationship. Like many spirits are not just are very distrusting of humans. So I can understand why this monkey spirit is like, yeah, I don't even care about the Avatar. I don't even care about Aang. I just want him to get the heck out of here. Yeah. And right before we go back to the real world, we see that Aang uh, meets Avatar Roku in the water. Um so that's the that's the last thing we see in the spirit. I was kind of surprised Aang just sees. So he just looks in the water and he just sees Roku's silhouette there. Like, wouldn't Roku be in like a little flame or sun or something? It's kind of weird that he just pops up out of the water like this is Jaws. Well, I, I kind of thought that it was cool because like Aang is in the water, and so like Aang's reflection should be Aang, but because like Aang's had past lives, like Aang's reflections also Roku. So, like, yeah, no, the reflection in the right. water is, like, part of himself. And since Roku's part of himself, that's what it appears as. Yeah, and Roku's the avatar right right before Aang. So, it makes sense that he's the one who Aang would see. And yeah. then Roku explains to Aang, or, or do you want to just go, I mean, they just, they basically cut. There's a lot of cross cuts here. So, yeah, I feel yeah, like we, we can just continue I, talking about this scene. Sounds so, good. Roku tells Aang about the dangerous spirit, Ko the Face Stealer, who's the only spirit who's old enough to know about the moon and ocean spirits and their whereabouts. And But you have to be very wary because, unlike his name suggests, he steals faces unless you show <laughs> no emotion. I mean, sorry for the pretty all-the-nose description, but yeah. I mean, I like Ko a lot, and we're going to yeah. talk about him. What were your thoughts when you first heard this description of Ko? Well, I think if Ko's trying to steal faces, that it should be any other name, like maybe like Ko the Clown, like (laughs) Ko the like comedian. So you think you're supposed to like laugh or something so they can steal your face. I feel like face dealer is just like the Fire Nation having soot before they enter a place. Like it totally gives away the purpose. True. Um, I, I mean, a Ko was probably named that by somebody else, but I yeah. kind of like your logic of like Ko when he presents himself to people should just have like the face of like Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> just be like, hey, I'm Jerry Seinfeld. Hey, they should be like trying to like make people laugh and like get him off guard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're I, all right. Like, I think Ko, if he took a different approach, he could have even more faces than what he ends up having. <laughs> exactly. You're right. I, I he should like, have like a I, little like he should be like dancing. He's got like tap dancing shoes. Like a face like some goofy face no you're 100 percent correct i kind of yeah. i like that like head cannon that you brought <laughs> it here because that um, just cracks me up 
I, I think the one thing that I uh, thought is that like Co really is the thing of nightmares. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that this and No Name from Spirited Away are both things that just like haunted my childhood. Like things that uh, like you know they're in children's shows, but they're really just too scary for me to consume. I think I would have been more scared of No Name if I was a little old or if I was a little younger when I watched Spirited Away because I watched Spirited Away when I was like ten, and by that point I was okay. already watching like too much horrifying stuff on tv so no yeah. name wasn't as scary but i think you're right like if i saw no name in old age and i i, I watched avatar when i was like 14 after it had already aired on tv but ko still like kind of made me unnerved honestly to me ko is pro like he is the scariest spirit in the show easily it would, easily it's not even close and we'll, we'll get into it in the because angus will run into him in the next episode so i mean they cross cut to essentially like zuko is stuck in this blizzard and he's complaining to an unconscious ang about azula and honestly i really i really want to clip this scene as well because i really like how zuko just him lamenting to this unconscious ang because he's like father loved azula so much she was born lucky father used to say i was lucky to be bored but he doesn't care because that he had to struggle and fight and that made him who he is and like honestly you kind of like well i didn't have as rough a time as zuko had i could kind of relate to what he was saying because i feel like i was not necessarily born with a lot of luck no silver spoon in my mouth so i kind of had a struggle and fight to even get to where i am too so i feel like a lot of viewers watching can relate to zuko in this moment because he did not have the most perfect upbringing and yet he was still ultimately rise above it after his long redemption arc so what did you think yeah. of this scene this is a great monologue uh by mm-hmm. dante I Vasco. I, yeah i think that uh it's a great thing you know ang is there like ang is the audience in a way but mm-hmm. really this is just zuko talking to himself like ang can't hear and i think that this does a great job of introducing azula and sort of like building her up uh to mm-hmm. join uh for season two so i thought this was a great monologue um, the one thing, yeah. the one thing I'll say is, uh, so like I've seen Star Wars. I think when you go into a, a shelter during a blizzard, you have to expect there's some monster in it. And I am shocked there's no like uh, sort of portmanteau animal that was there to attack them. It's I funny, was expecting it the entire time. It's funny because my roommates were just watching episode five of Star Wars like two nights ago, so I know exactly exactly what you're talking about with, like, Hoth and the abominable yeah. snowman and stuff. So you're you're right, but luckily no monster pops yeah. out of this. So did, we ca- your, uh, did your roommates watch the holiday special, by chance? No, they did not watch the holiday special. I still oh, have to man. listen. I'm, I'm so behind on podcasts this week because I've been listening to so like, or I've been so busy with so much stuff, so yeah. I still have to listen to the Renap Star Wars holiday special. We'll plug that for them with Liana. Uh, it was it was hilarious. Uh, so definitely, definitely. I'm, yeah, check I'm, out. I'm really excited to get into that. Honestly, yeah. so and I saw how long it was too, and I was like, "Dope! This is like a long, good podcast." Yeah. So that's going to be a lot of fun to listen to. But we'll stay on topic here. So we cut back to the war and or the battle going on, and the Fire Nation they're back with these steampunk like tanks and their lizard rhinos as well. <laughs> Did you have any thoughts about this like battle here? Uh. Not really. Essentially, just I am pretty worried for the waterbenders because there are so many foot soldiers that each one of them can be pretty weak. But like there are thousands of people ready to yeah, attack. Yeah, because so. I, I think the average waterbender is even you could say is like 10 times stronger than the average foot soldier. But still, yeah. like the foot soldiers just 
outnumber them by like a hundredfold almost. So they're, they're gonna just screwed by the numbers game here, essentially. And then, so is this where Han goes on the ship? So he's like, yeah, is this yeah. where Zhao and I, so Zhao and Iroh are on the ship talking. And then Han, it was basically like, Prepare to meet your fate, Admiral Cho. And then immediately gets thrown into the water. So Han just gets wrecked here. Oh, I was kind of, you know what? This is the first time I was actually on Zhao's side. I was like, good. <laughs> I dislike Han more than I dislike Zhao. So I was happy to see Han get that chucked is, off the ship here. That is fair. And this comes at a terrible time. Zhao is uh, ex- essentially explaining that he's going to remove the moon as a factor uh, Uncle Ira says that if the full moon comes, that the waterbenders will win. That's when Han pops up, gets immediately destroyed, and we get back to the backstory. Yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wording this wrong, but so Zhao went to Wan Shi Tong's library. That's that is the correct. owl spirit's name, right? Because I remember that owl actually used to scare me a lot, honestly, too, when I first That's watched fair. it. Like, I, is, I think Ko is, is still scarier, but the owl spirit, Wan Chi Tong, is a close second. He's pretty terrifying, too. So basically, Zhao, in that library, he was able to discover the moon and ocean spirits' identities, and he's actually intends to kill them. And he says he basically one thing I didn't realize here, and I actually forgot this. Even this is new information to me on this rewatch. Is Iroh has canonically traveled to the spirit world while alive? I did not know this. I guess this makes sense because we've seen that he's able to see the spirit world and see stuff going on, like he sees Ang fly away on Roku's dragon in episodes prior. But I did not know this because Zhao is like, I know you've traveled to the spirit world before, or basically like heavily implies that Iroh has been to the spirit world. So man, Iroh's like basically the fi- like his own avatar. He's like has all the powers of the avatar, while not besides just the other bending disciplines, honestly. Yeah, I, I feel like this should be explored a little bit more because it's kind of a throwaway line here, but it is really cool that Uncle Iroh's done they, that. They do and, allude to it throughout the series, but honestly, yeah, I do. Yeah. I agree with you. I kind of wish they explore more and like they could even give Iroh like a prequel book series or story or something because this is new. I, I want to see how he got into the spirit world, quite frankly, as somebody who's not an airbender. I want to see how his spiritual connection was so strong that he was able to traverse into the other side because it's yeah. honestly like they obviously they allude to it a bunch throughout the whole series but they never really dig deep into it and that's kind of one thing i feel like it's missing a little bit from avatar Last airbender but what can you do oh well no so I, we cross- I, I think oh, that's continue. fair uh yeah but then we see that yeah so zhao is uh going to use all this knowledge for evil essentially mm-hmm. uh the next thing we see is we get ang back uh in the spirit world he sees uh, a big tree and he spots a monkey uh, Aang is like going up to talk to the monkey and it turns around with no face. Uh, <laughs> this is like the, just the start of a terrifying <laughs> chain of events, essentially. Um, where, yes, we... no, you're, you're right because he walks into this cave and meets Ko. Now, <laughs> I have like a serious description of Ko and I have like my goofy comical like observation as well. So what do you want to hear first? Uh, let's get the serious first so that people can picture how silly your silly one is. Yes, because uh, for those of you who maybe are not watching the episode, but you're listening alongside with us, Ko is like this large, I want to say like 
spider or centipede even because he yeah, might yeah. even have more than eight legs so he's just this huge insect like creature but he has a human face almost like uh, the actual description I want to use, like, this is very niche, but there's a Yu-Gi-Oh card called Insect Queen, and that's kind of what Cole looks like. But basically, he's just this large, like, black spider body, but he's got this human, like, white, pale face almost. So he kind of, in a way, he does, like, look like almost a sad clown, maybe like a sad mime type with mm-hmm. his, like, almost white, powdered makeup face. And there is, this is, so I'll lead into my comical description. He kind of reminded me, have you ever seen that Spider Children show? It gets memed a lot where it's like this white spider with a weird face because they used to compare it to co they used to compare it to james charles a bunch that picture went viral <laughs> but anyways it's like this white spider spirit i feel like some female listeners might know because it's just like this white spider children's tv show that's in a bunch of memes but basically that's what co reminded me of i'll yeah. send you a picture after the please show do, Jacob. Please do. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the meme but essentially yeah. that but how would you how would you describe co this like eldritchian spider creature is how i thought he would look like yeah no i think that uh like a centipede or a millipede is right it's like a really mm-hmm. long body with tons of legs and at the front is just like a human face uh essentially it's like but the uh, human face is also like encased in like his insect like membrane i want to say yeah. so it just looks even like quite horrifying if i'm being honest like co is my like might even be the scariest thing in the whole series really like the yeah. only thing where if like there's a little kid in the room might be like like a fire a toddler essentially i might be like hey go away because it's kind of horrifying to look at yeah i feel like uh the nightmares are the the scariest part about that but uh mm-hmm. ko's like switching faces and and telling ang essentially this is not the first time that they've talked uh ang had another time where uh Aang, the avatar tried to kill ko uh because ko stole someone's face uh that's pretty rude uh and like honestly terrifying um yeah avatar yeah. karuk had a very like he died young ko stole his wife's face and then he tries to battle ko and ultimately fails because ko's still alive while he's dead so yep. ko won that sadly but to ang's credit he stays steadfast throughout all of this and like man how is ang able to do that because like i'm I, <laughs> ko would have my face i'll tell you that right now <laughs> ko oh, would yeah. have him he'd He'd have my bad hairline and all that. He'd definitely <laughs> have my face because I would have shat my pants, quite frankly, in this scene. What about you, Jacob? You uh, think yeah, Ko no, would have your face? Ko's definitely taking my face. I feel like – so Aang does a pretty good job uh, for a while mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, he, trying to get information out of Ko, but Ko's not really being that helpful uh, Ko's like telling him about the moon spirits. And I feel like, you know, I could have done fine, uh, with like the scary parts, but I would have gotten annoyed. Like Ko is beating around the bush. Ko's like not helping at all. Like I would have gotten angry and I would have made some sort of like, uh, I guess angry, um, expression that would have gotten my face stolen. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You're just like, get to the point. And yeah. you know what else Ko reminded me of? I don't know. Have you ever seen that Garfield horror game that went viral a couple years ago? Cause basically <laughs> like, not. it's like this, it's like Garfield's like this like monster. Like, oh, wow. That went viral too. But basically, yeah, it's like this spoof GBA thing. And like Garfield turns into this like hideous creature that also kind of looks like Ko. But yeah, Ko changes from like an old man to this angry blue, angry blue spirit head. But then he actually provides anger some useful info after beating around the bush a bunch don't get me wrong and he tells him about the koi being the spirits 
the, so the two koi that Aang saw earlier are yeah. the moon and ocean spirits. And he informs him of a man also trying to kill the spirit. So Ko, honestly, is actually quite useful to Aang. Like, consider, like he actually provides him with his information. So I guess Ko is kind of a neutral spirit. He's not necessarily good or evil. Yeah, I think that Ko does this in a really unique way. So Ko, mm-hmm. like, sort of references that Aang already knows that the spirits and, like, that they go in a circle, essentially. And that's when uh, Aang figures it out himself. And because mm-hmm. Aang figures it out himself, he gets excited. Uh, I thought this was, like, a pro strat from Ko. I thought I was pretty impressed here. But then uh, as soon yeah, as... It basically leads him to the point. No, you're right. Yeah. Very as- smart on Ko's part. And that's what we got to expect from these 10,000-year-old spirits, you know. And it survived <laughs> exactly. that long by being a dumb old spirit, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Aang, as soon as he gets excited, Ko, like, snaps to him and he goes right back to Monotone. And he's like, I have to leave now. And uh, we get back uh, outside the tree and uh, Aang tells Roku that, that uh, these spirits are in trouble. And we get an old friend back, uh, good old Black White. <laughs> good old Black White is back. And man, I kind of want a panda to ride. I was jealous of Ang here. <laughs> like, I want to be able to have some panda that I could just ride all over the place. That'd be dope. It's funny because you. pandas in our world are not like that energetic. We, we actually talked about this in the Hey Bye episode. It's kind of like a News AF-esque story, but in Chinese zoos, they struggle getting like the pandas to do anything. And they're kind of like overweight and lazy. So I kind of wish I had some super athletic panda that could just sprint all over the place that I could mount. So I was yeah. quite jealous of Ang here. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, I feel like having a panda that also like is protective of you and turns into a monster and screams at anyone who uh, slights you is also a nice <laughs> perk as, of the Hayby as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I like that with the monkey spirit the monkey later. Bit, but yeah. So in this next scene, we cut back to the battle. And Paku, admittedly, was pretty badass in this scene. I don't yes. like Paku too much. Not a big fan, but I'll give him credit. Because he does, and Aang has done something similar in episodes prior, where Aang will, like, either wrap himself with water or wrap himself in, like, a water or air tornado spiral thing. And Paku does that, but with snow. So he wraps himself in this, like, snow tornado, essentially, and is at the top of it, spinning all over the place, just taking out a bunch of these tanks. So I'll give Paku a little credit. This was a pretty fire scene from him. Yeah. As soon as we see the full moon go up, Paku starts taking out firebenders about 20 at a time. Uh, yeah, just yeah, yeah. Wrecking he's, he's, people, go, he's going off. Wrecking people left and right for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Zhao still seems pretty determined and says, uh, we're going fishing, uh, you know, referencing that they're going to try to kill the fish. Um, then the Heibai brings Aang back to the body. Um, Aang goes back to the real world, but can't find his body anywhere. Uh, Aang's spirit then uh, somehow like so he doesn't see his bodies there but somehow his body is then pulled back through the sky to where his body is back in yeah, the it, uh, cage I found, this was I found, weird yes I found this odd as well but not for like maybe the standard reason I thought it was just odd like that we didn't see Aang having to like fly there himself like yes. if he already able sh- if he already showed up to the shrine wouldn't he just show up to where his body was or then why would he not just travel there I thought like the weird part was not the fact that he couldn't find his body it was more so the fact that he just like instantly teleports to his body because I think they should have like showed his spirit having to like find his body because i understand like ang probably has some he probably like can sense where his body is so but i just found that kind of odd what do you think was weird about this scene 
Yeah, I thought it was weird. Like, either Aang should start in his body in the cave, or she, mm-hmm. he should have to look for his body. But for yes. him to start at the gate and then get just yes. to it just didn't make a ton of sense I, to I me. Agree. I agree. I found that kind of odd. But. I, I think that the main reason is so that Katara and the rest of them could find it, because yes. there's a big streak of light that goes across the sky as Aang's spirit travels to his body. Katara immediately sees that and uh, sends Appa that way. Um, I found Appa, this odd as well, because how can they see the spirit? Uh, I think it, yeah, like, uh, again, then, not you're not, your vi- spirits are not usually visible unless you're in the spirit world. Yet Katara, Sokka, and Yue are all able to see this. So I that kind of, maybe that's a gap on the writer's part, or maybe that's a actual plot point. I don't know. Found yeah. that kind of odd. Uh, no, but, I, I think that it might be a goof here. Um, but what we see is we have, uh, Aang go back into the cave with Zuko. They have a short little uh, exchange back and forth, and Aang just, like, uh, breathes a huge gust of air into him. Zuko is immediately thrown against the wall, and I, th- I felt like Aang was gonna be able to get away, but then we see Aang's strategy is to inchworm away the rest of the time uh, through <laughs> the snow. Terrible strategy. Zuko catches him in about two seconds. Yeah, I don't know why Aang wouldn't just... Um get rid of his ropes here, I guess. And also, I like how Aang, this is Aang's MMO, basically. Whenever he gets captured, he's just got the gust of wind that he just blows yep. in his back pocket. Because I feel like this is like the fourth time we've seen him utilize yes. this technique when captured. <laughs> and it works uh, like a charm yeah. every time. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I ain't hating, but it's just funny that that's his go-to. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty good move from him. Uh, he's able to get away. And thank goodness uh, Katara and the rest of the people are there because Zuko catches up pretty much immediately. Uh, Zuko is like, oh, you ready for a rematch? And Katara is like, uh, it's not going to be much of a match. And, and knocks it, him and out spoiler, in it about ain't two much, ain't much of a rematch at all. She absolutely demolishes him. This is basically a one shot. Like, are we going to rank this as a battle at the end of the episode? <laughs> uh, I don't <laughs> think so. I think that that one would just be uh, too quick. Uh, th- that would be like a, a point one out of four because it's just way too fast. Yeah, guitar, just the full moon guitar is just too powerful. Flawless victory once again for Katara. Her second exactly. flawless victory of the episode. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and they uh, Zuko's just laying in the snow, essentially knocked out. They're all about to fly away, and Aang kind of hesitates a little bit. And eventually he's like, I'm not going to let Zuko die out here. Uh, and much to everyone else's chagrin, he puts Zuko in the saddle of Appa and carries him back. Yeah, Sokka wants to leave Zuko in the blizzard, but Aang is like, no, he'll die. <laughs> Sokka just doesn't care. He would leave Zuko to rot and freeze in the cold. But yeah, good guy Aang here. Even if Zuko's the big baddie, he still wants to help him out. He's still got the compassion in his heart. Yeah. Uh, the next thing we see is someone with no compassion in their heart. Uh, <laughs> Zhao gets to the spirit oasis, the Garden of Eden that we saw earlier, and gets the white koi. Uh, he takes the white koi, puts it in a bag, and the moon goes from a white moon to blood red, turning the scene completely red. And I have to say that uh, I would do anything for Zhao to not have done this because i think that uh the moon being blood red is just terrible like it'd be so hard to go to sleep true it would be awful i mean the hue of red was really cool like the red like wave washing over our screen as like the moon as the spirit dissipates and stuff i thought that was great but i have a question for you or not a question a statement in my opinion zhao got extremely lucky here because if ang's body was left 
in the shrine. He would not be, he's just lucky they all left to go get Aang's body because nobody was at the shrine. Like, had they all been there? Like, I don't think Zhao would have had any chance of getting these spirits at all. I mean, we've seen him lose to Zuko one-on-one. So there's no <laughs> way he gets through Aang and Katara with a full moon. Are you kidding me? Katara could probably yeah. take on Zhao herself. So there's yeah. like, I think Zhao got quite lucky here. Everyone was else on, everyone else was preoccupied. So he could just swoop in and take Twee and Law, the two spirits. Yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, I think if Katara is there during the full moon, she knocks him out real quick yeah. and makes him look like a fool. And he's really lucky, but, uh, I think that he doesn't care about the luck. He knows in the no, history true. books, if the plan goes according, uh, if, yeah, if everything goes according to plan, the history books will say that he was a genius and that he did all of this on purpose. Yes. And then, so, I mean, he basically will say that in the scene after this next one. But so right now, UA tells the team avatar, she explains to them that the moon spirits, when she was a child, healed her. She was a very sick baby. She, when she was bored, she didn't even cry. She was just completely silent and had her eyes closed and was not responsive at all. So her father, the chief of the village, pleaded with the moon spirit. He put her in a pod. Her hair went full Anderson Cooper, but she was healed. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's only alive because of the moon. That was a, yes. a, a good way that to describe it. That was the gist of the, yeah, exactly. So the moon basically gave her life. Yeah. Uh, then we see Zhao just, I guess, feeling himself right here. He really thinks that he's done it. Uh, yeah, he's, I guess he's pontificating on all the things that the future generations will call him because, you know, he thinks that he's already won. Uh, what do you think that, uh, he should be called, Zach? <laughs> oh, I wish, I wish you got to ask me this before the episode. Here, come back to me. What do you think he should be called? Do you have anything funny? Cause I feel like there's a lot of things I feel like I could call him, but I want to think of something <laughs> creative. Cause I could call him Zhao the big dumb moron. That's what he should be known as in the history books. <laughs> Zhao the big dumb moron. I like it. Uh, I think that's uh, a funny one. Yeah. I think like, uh, ultimately he comes up with Zhao the conqueror, which is like, okay, it's like, if, if I want to use like the, I don't know, you're not a big community guy, but like the community Community Dungeon the Dragons episode at the beginning, they all have like a title. So you can yeah. have like Zhao the Prideful or like Zhao the Boastful. Because my arrogant, issue with maybe. Zhao, yeah, Zhao the Arrogant. My issue with Zhao is not giving himself the nicknames. It's not a big deal. But do that when you've accomplished your mission, when you're already back in the Fire Nation, you've won all these battles. That's when you can be like talking to your scribe from episodes prior. You know what I mean? And then yeah. you can be like, they can call me Zhao the Conqueror, Zhao the Invincible. That's when you should be supplying yourself with these nicknames. Not when you haven't even completed your mission. Like I understand seems things seem to be going smoothly for you, Zhao, but I think it's just a little premature to be giving yourself these honorable titles. And like, like gives him Zhao the Conqueror, Zhao the Moonslayer, Zhao the Invincible. Yeah. And yeah. I, I wanted to talk about the uh the third one he gives himself. So the Moonslayer is like about to be accurate. Like he's about to uh yep, yep. slay the moon or at least try to. Invincible like doesn't make sense. Like he's not invincible. I don't understand that one at all. Well, I mean, that's the thing we talk about with Zhao. It's like, if Zhao was able to tone down his arrogance, he'd be a lot more successful as both an admiral and a tactician. But yeah. alas, that's his fatal flaw. And that's why I'm pretty sure he gets killed at the end of this episode. Uh, definitely gets killed. <laughs> and straight up bodies him, but we'll get into that in a bit. So, yeah. 
So uh, you you want to talk about this next scene right here with the moon getting destroyed? Yeah. So uh, what I was going to say is, uh, well, first off, yeah, we have like everyone landing. Uh, we mm-hmm. have Katara, Sokka, Aang, uh, and everyone's there. Uh, we see Zhao getting ready for battle. And Zhao essentially says like, uh, yeah, you can't come at me because he has a moon, moon spirit. Uh, Aang says like not to, but Zhao claims it's this destiny. He says destiny so ti- so many times in this episode. I'm beginning to think it's like Zuko with his honor. <laughs> True, Zhao is just like sleeping at night, like mumbling to himself, like "Oh, my destiny, my destiny." Zhao yep. the Invincible, Zhao the Conqueror, oh, Slayer, blah blah blah. <laughs> exactly. Like, he's just mumbling exactly. to himself as he sleeps, and then yep, Iroh then- comes in and he says, he says. Like, they talk about how destroying the moon will hurt everyone, and Aang is pleading with Zhao not to destroy the moon. And Iroh tells him he'll unleash on what he does to the moon. Iroh will unleash that upon Zhao tenfold. And, like, this is the most terrifying Iroh we've ever seen. Like, I got intimidated. I was like, oh, shit, Iroh's about to (laughs) mess you up if you damage these moon spirits, because I would not want to, like, you very rarely see Iroh's bad side, but that's not somebody who I would want to get on their bad side you know what i mean yeah no definitely not and at first it seems like Zhao's like a little bit intimidated because he puts the koi back in the pond and i was like oh, okay he's gonna like try to fight first before he uh like does anything with the fish but no no uh totally totally uh fools me here he yeah, no, and, and that's actually kind of smart fish. yes because and that's kind of smart on his part because had he just like shot a fire blast into the bag of fish i think he would have he like I don't know. He wouldn't have caught them by surprise, but dumping the fish into the water and then like shooting the little slice of flame that he ends up doing—that's like pretty smart because he's able to kill them. It worked. Like Zhao uh, actually successfully carries out his plan. Shockingly enough, yeah. So Zhao uh, does it. Uh, the moon goes away, and I think that the animation here is really cool because. Um, even though it's like still nighttime and dark uh, in the scenes prior, we have that sort of warm glow from the moon. Uh, for a second, it's blood red. But then, like, right as he releases it back into the um, pond, we have it go back to its normal, uh, like, normal hue. As soon as he destroys the fish, it goes back to just, like, uh, a different coloration where this one's, like, a bit darker. There's, like, no color. And I think this no, is the, a the, really cool way to show this. I, th- I th- And I think this is the – I don't know, spoiler alert, if this is my favorite episode of season one, but this is the most well-animated episode. Like, you could really tell, like, all the art, the visual design was just absolutely impeccable. And the music as well because throughout this episode – and I can't really – think of an exact scene but i noticed a bunch of times like they were using parts of the score i guess for lack of a better term that i hadn't heard in episodes prior like i talked about earlier when the fire nation was invading like that almost bump 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 like that john williams type score they had like their own original song for this episode so overall animation and music were just on point for this finale they brought yeah. out all the stops essentially yeah, then Iroh, uh, you know, not willing to let Zhao get off uh, with nothing, decides to just start destroying the soldiers uh, that he's attacking. He destroys them pretty quickly, but Zhao, like a coward he is, escapes. Uh, and they're sort of all there mourning the fish. Uh, Yue says there's no hope anymore. And Aang uh, then goes into the Avatar state and he says, no, it's not over. Uh, Aang then becomes water itself, and this is when he just starts wrecking people left and right. Uh, yeah, you should not have made Aang angry. 
And I love when Aang talks into the avatar, when he's in the avatar state, but is still able to talk because what they do, they use like this, like vocal filter almost. So it's Aang's voice, but what it's supposed to be is like the voices of all the avatars prior talking through Aang. And he's yep. like, no, it's not over in this super epic voice. And yeah, I like the way like Aang in the avatar state. So he just jumps into the water, just like, like, <laughs> so he almost just, he jumps like feet first into the water, almost like he's going going to like luge basically he's like doing the coffin pose jumps into the water and you're right he turns into water incarnate he turns like this huge i want to say like almost salamander spirit is how i would describe it because it's got like the salamander face and he's in the middle of it so ang is basically where the heart of this 20 foot spirit would be and you can see him controlling it encased in water and i think this is just i love how when he's in the avatar state he develops like these very just out of the world powers like i don't know i would have never predicted like oh egg is going to turn into a huge fish spirit here on my first watch and what it reminded me of actually was the tree spirit in princess mononoke from Mm. studio ghibli i don't know if you ever seen that prince that movie because even when i watched this the first time i thought like the outline and like the like actual pattern on the salamander was very um reminiscent of that so I, i kind of wondered if the animators took inspiration from that yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Aang is going through the Northern Water Tribe, uh, we see all of the people start to bow to him, uh, and then all the Fire Nations still ready to fight him. But he just starts wrecking them. Uh, essentially, like he just wipes them out, uh, clears out the city extremely quickly. Uh, and you know, and it's, it's funny because he's like quick. barely. You're right. He, it's super quick, and like he's barely bending. A lot of what he does here, he's just like slicing ships with like the spirit's arms. I feel like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah that, he, he bends a, second, a little yeah. bit, but there's there's a lot of just like brute force. I feel like rather than finesse bending that we're normally accustomed to from Aang. Yeah, I feel like here he and the ocean spirit are kind of one, and that power mm-hmm. is just like uh, unimaginable. Uh, but not but not to get too far ahead of ourselves, we see mm-hmm. that as Zhao is escaping. Uh, we see that Zuko comes up and they start to fight. At first, he's really surprised that Zuko is alive, which means that it, uh, the trick completely worked on Zhao. Uh, and Zhao then reveals that he knows that he's the blue spirit and they start fighting. Uh, Zuko knows that uh, essentially he has to beat Zhao here. And uh, yeah, they're going to they start fighting and we cut between many different fights uh, yes. for the next few minutes here. Yes, we do. So we cross cut a bunch. But first, I mean, we'll cut to back to UA and stuff. So we're back with Team Avatar. UA explains that while the moon spirit gave her life, maybe she can give it back. Much to Sokka's chagrin, of course. And one thing I never understood here is like, so when Yuka Yue turns into this, so does she live her life as like one of the koi fish in the pond? Or is she, does she like turn into a spirit in the spirit world who has kind of like, a command and like connection with the moon. That's something I never understood even on my first watch. So maybe yeah. Jacob, you can explain it to me. Yes. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure what Zhao says earlier is that the moon spirit and the ocean spirit gave up their immortality to become part of the real world. So I believe that instead of going into the spirit world, Yue now is part of the real world and like lives her life as that fish, but is also the moon spirit. So she's not in the spirit world, but, and she has like the physical form of that fish. Uh, and instead, like, lives lives in that pond. 
Okay, I, I, that's my take. And then, and then when she, when her, when her like spirit like silhouette, like when she makes out with Sokka at the end of the episode. Yeah, so do, do we see? Do we see the? <laughs> do we see the spirit? Her spirit go into the fish? I don't remember that. Uh, I think that we do see like so her body. Yeah, I, I, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but her body like uh, will evaporate essentially. Uh, oh, and, like, okay, okay, and you're, you're right. You're right. We are get my apologies. We got we did get a little bit ahead of ourselves. No but, worries. I mean, it, we it cross cut so many times. One exactly, thing I wanted that's, one thing yep. I wanted to point out is that it's really pretty here. How like everything has this like gray sort of monotone, but Yue's eyes still have that really deep blue, and I think that might be like how Iroh recognizes that Yue does have this power, and that she was uh, touched by the blue uh, moon spirit. Is this like lovely blue that's in her eyes? Yeah, and Yue has. We didn't talk about it last episode, but Yue is a very well-designed character because she just has such a unique look with her white hair, her piercing blue eyes. So uh, you're right. And it, it makes sense that Iroh can sense that she's been touched by the moon spirit. Yeah. So then her body uh, or her spirit fills the fish's life with spirit. And uh, mm-hmm. she then essentially like passes away into Sokka's arms. Um, then Yue appears as a spirit. And this is where Sokka gets a kiss uh, from a spirit and yeah, do you think uh, spirits are good kissers? Um, I don't know. I feel like you're probably not feeling too much. I mean, they're probably yeah. a l- less messy of a kisser than a real human, I guess. So that's fair. See, there's I was no thinking- real world saliva and spit being swapped. So <laughs> I was thinking that like uh, some of the kisses, like having like a person on the other side, there's some like force against it. And with the spirit, I feel like there's no force, like uh, just like kissing the air. But true, <laughs> you're right. It must be uh, a weird sensation. Can't even imagine it. Yeah, Maybe no, like that definitely. woman who married a ghost, we can have her on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. And ex- ex- and she can explain to us how she makes out with her ghost lover. Or we could take a pass on that Yeah, I think so, too. Where do you want to go next in this cross-cutting scene? Yeah, so I think that we see Aang and the ocean spirit are together, and they just start slicing and dicing their way through the ships. They're just destroying ships left and right, and essentially every other ship just starts to go away, because I think they realize that uh, even though logistically it would take Aang a while to slice them all, that Aang could destroy every last ship uh, if they didn't leave. Yeah, no, 100%. He basically does, essentially. Like, he, pre- Aang pretty much, like, solos this whole fleet in the Avatar state, yeah. essentially. And plus, he took out 12 ships earlier when he was in his normal state. Because, yeah, <laughs> like you said, a lot of slicing and dicing, a lot of carving. Because, again, there's a lot of brute force, which I'm not really accustomed to from Aang. Usually, he's using all this inventive bending. But this time, he's just got these huge, like, sliced arms. And he's just, or these sharp arms. And he's just cutting up everything in his way. So then we cut back to Zuko and Zhao and Zhao basically gets, so the water kind of uh, arms sprout out of the water. So I guess Aang just has, while he's in this state, he has control of the water everywhere throughout the North Pole and arms come up and they grab Zhao. Zuko offers his hand to Zhao and like basically is like attempts to help him in Zhao's life, but Zhao retracts his hand. And decides that he'd rather die than accept Zuko's help. And Zhao, this is what I mean about Zhao's pride being his fatal flaw. Because he could accept Zuko's hand here and maybe have a shot at life and be saved and be a redeemed character, essentially. But instead, he gets taken deep into the depths of the water. And while they don't explicitly say it, I think you can assume that this is where Zhao meets his maker. Yeah, uh, he's definitely dead. Uh, and I think actually, um, 
I, I don't think that it's Aang controlling the water at this point because Aang's body's like already on the, the temple wall. Uh, mm-hmm. and like, I think he's, he's like back there. I think that this is the, uh, ocean spirit itself getting vengeance oh, for him killing the moon spirit. Oh, no. And that makes sense because Aang, even in the Avatar state, is not usually a killer. So, no, you're right. It probably was. My apologies. I kind of, I'm, I I guess I just misread or like didn't understand it properly because you are correct. That makes a lot more sense yeah. that the moon spirit came back for vengeance. And one thing I'm really glad about is that Zhao sees the moon before he dies. So he knows that his plan didn't even work. So now even <laughs> in his own headcanon, he knows that he's not going to be like Zhao the moon slayer. He's going to be like Zhao, the attempted moon murderer. Yes, because right before Zhao gets, I skipped ahead a little bit, right before Zhao gets captured, he's like, wait, what? How is the moon still alive? And it's because the moon has already come back. The lighting is normal again. And yeah, rest in peace, Zhao. So overall, I guess we can give Zhao a little eulogy. Zhao primarily functions as the main season one antagonist. What were your thoughts on Zhao as a character as a whole? Yeah, I think that he has a few good uh, lead-ups to understanding why he's, like, the way he is. Ultimately, I think that the episode The Deserter with Zhang Zhang really builds up this mythos about him, how he's someone who just has this uncontrollable desire for power. Like, what he cares about more is, you know, having this, uh, like, power. He wants to have this, uh, like, I guess, idea mm-hmm. of himself as the important person and I think that's his ultimate downfall is he's not able to constrain it and realize where he's in the wrong. Uh, what do you think, Zach? Yeah, you're right. And I, I co-sign everything you said to add on to it and to add on my own little point. Them, I think one of my issues with Zhao, it's like he's a good antagonist, but he just – and I talk about this a lot. He kind of just pales in comparison to Azula. And one thing I would have liked mm-hmm. – for them to have done with Zhao, make him a little bit more powerful. Even if he loses the Agni Kaida Zuko, make him like learn a new bending ability. Maybe he could lightning bend or something. Cause I feel, I felt like even when on a first watch, it was just, I, even when I was first watching it, I just knew that Zhao was not going to put up much of a fight in this final battle. And it turns out I was proven correct because yeah. Zhao, he's not like, He's not much. He doesn't have any good, like, I don't know. Is there, like, a particular Zhao fight that really stuck with you? Not necessarily. Like, he's a good antagonist overall, and he's got some, like, snappy repartee and some burns here and there with his witty, like, quips. But besides that, I don't know. Zhao's a good antagonist, but not a great antagonist in my eyes. Yeah, there's nothing that sets him apart from any other just, like, strong firebender, where we'll see other antagonists, like Azula's got her blue fire, she's got lightning, she's got lots of stuff that sets her apart, and I think that it's good that, uh, you know, he's not the, like, antagonist for all of the seasons. I kind of like that it goes to Azula, who's like a child, and we get more of this, like, fantastical world, rather than, like, this lame adult. No, I agree completely. So, Yeah. yeah, basically, I mean... Now is like the time in the, I feel like this common in anime where like the big battle is over and now everybody can like breathe easy and kind of relax and celebrate a little. Yeah. So we see, uh, Paku says that he's going to go to the Southern Water Tribe and he's going to teach people, uh, there. I, I assume he's going to teach women, right? I would have to hope so. <laughs> I, I, I would hope. I hope he doesn't okay. come and is like, okay, in the Northern Water Tribe, we don't teach women, so we ain't teaching any of you Southern women. I would yeah. hope so. hope he's learned the error of his ways. We gave Paku a lot of crap last episode. Maybe he's changed in his later years and has finally seen the error of his ways. 
Yeah, I think that ultimately uh, he has to because pretty much the only people that are still left in the Southern Water Tribe are women and children. So I think he's going to have to teach the women. So that's good. Uh, Katara is like, well, what will Aang do for training? And Paku says that uh, Aang is going to have to call her Master Katara. A little kinky. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, again, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you caught me off guard. Uh, and then, yeah, so the, they were talking about like UA and the spirits being born. Like UA is basically reborn as a spirit. And while it sucks for Sokka, I mean, he still got away with the ladies. And I think they actually, in this three episode arc, they do a good job of building up the relationship between UA and Sokka. So when UA does make her transition into a moon spirit, you do feel for Sokka and like you feel sorry for him essentially because of what he's going through and having UA just taken from him essentially. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, one thing I will say is like their their whole city was destroyed, but it's actually one perk of having everything made out of ice is like in the next full moon, everyone can just like all the waterbenders can just make all the bridges, make all the towns, make all the walls. Like, yeah, uh, I, I think that they're not in a bad spot. I mean, obviously, the chief is down a daughter, but ultimately, I think that they came out pretty far ahead. Yeah. And then so we cut we cross cut back to Zuko and Iroh. And then Iroh tells Zuko he's surprised that he didn't continue his chase for the Avatar. And Zuko explains, or no, or Iroh says, well, a man needs his rest and tells Zuko to go rest up. So it's nice. Like, I just, I love the Iroh and Zuko dynamic. And this was a great showcase in this two part finale. And you can, re- it really sets up the stage for like them traveling as refugees in episode, in season two and just the, such a strong bond that they have together, Zuko and Iroh. Yeah, uh, and I think that, you know, Zuko's clearly tired. Like, he went through a lot, uh, you know, mm-hmm. ups and downs that night. I think uh, it's really weighed on him, and I think that he's able to recognize that and, and take a little reset. Yeah, and if, and if Zuko wasn't a firebender, he'd definitely have, like, hypothermia and frostbite. And oh, yeah, of, for sure. A for slew sure. of other issues. Like, his firebending pretty much saved his ass out there in that <laughs> blizzard. Yeah, I agree So with then you we there. cut back. We cut back to Team Avatar. So it's Aang and Katara, and they have a hug, group hug. They bring in Momo as well into the hug. Yep. And uh, then, but, but not oh, to you- leave the episode on a happy note, we see uh, Fire yes. Lord Ozai says that Iroh is a treasonous uh, person and Zuko's a failure. And so now it is Azula's turn. Uh, and then the season ends with a little smirk from Azula. And we get so much uh, badassery in season two. And yeah, and I like really like the way they shot this scene because they still they never really show you Ozai's face until season three. So yep. they shot this. You see the back of his head and him sitting on a throne with his crown. And you see Azula kneeling before him. And she looks up with a sly smile. And this yeah. is our first look at the woman, I want to say. But honestly, she's just a girl. She's only 14. Who will be, or who will become the main antagonist of the whole series, essentially. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's uh, book one for you. Um, yeah, I'm excited that we got through that one. Super fun. Uh, I think now uh, there's nothing left to do but, uh, you know, do our regular end of episode stuff. So, Zach, what do you think about this episode as a whole? Yeah, I like this two-part episode a lot. I thought the animation, the music was on point. I think... 
one of my issues with this episode and why it's not my favorite, there's not really a particular battle that stuck with me because I've mentioned this before. I'm not really a fan. I mean, I, I, it makes sense within the scope of the story for Katara to just demolish Zuko. Like, I understand it, but those are just not those battles that are just super one sided or not as entertaining for me as a viewer. So I kind of, there was no really standout battle. I did love Aang slicing and dicing as the big salamander spirit. And that spirit just looks so epic and and going into the Avatar state. So I enjoyed all that stuff. So overall, like, it was a solid finale. It really sums up all the parts of season one. But I just think the show is going to go into even higher highs. Especially, like, if you're comparing this to the season two finale. The season two finale, in my opinion, is one of the best episodes in the whole series. And I can't say the same about this episode. Like, this is a very great, this is a very good episode of Avatar. But in a very good episode of television overall, and even a very good finale, but at the same time, it kind of just, it's not like the best episode of Avatar. So for that reason, I'm not as high on it as even some other episodes in season one, I would say. What about you? Yeah, I think that this episode's pretty good uh, for a finale. Ultimately, I'm never the most excited for the uh, sort of like payoff episodes. Like I'm much, I'm yes. much more interested in like the backstory, the lore, the build the up, journey. the yeah. interesting side characters. Like that's sort of what I'm here for. And like the final battle is epic. Uh, definitely the giant salamander is really cool. It's cool mm-hmm. to see the uh, like Zhao and Zuko Ko fight. As well. Lots of Ko stuff. as well was super cool. I really, Ko was one of my favorite like side character species type thing so i loved all of that stuff so there's i mean there's so much to take from this episode but yeah at the same time it's just like like when i watch season one this is an episode i rewatch a lot but now that we've rewatched the whole series i feel like or rewatch all of season one it's like man there's some episodes like i enjoyed more on this rewatch in particular so. yeah well let's get into it and uh, rank this episode so that we can see where this falls in terms of uh, all of our episodes from mm-hmm. season one uh, as always, you can send in your own rankings, avatar at postshowrecaps.com, where you can rank the episode between zero and four cabbages. Uh, you can also tweet us at postshowrecaps with those ratings. Uh, this week, the audience was a bit higher uh, than last mm-hmm. week. Um, I think uh, rightfully so. The the uh, listener feedback uh, is at a 3.51. Uh, so pretty good from the listeners. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, well, the listeners are right on the dot with me because I had this at a 3.5 out of 4. That's exactly where I have it. It's a, it's an excellent episode of Avatar, has pretty much everything you'd want from an episode of an av- Avatar, to be honest. But it just like some of the things that I love about Avatar are missing from this two-part finale. And for that, I have it at a 3.5 out of 4. But still, I mean... It's still amazing. Still a great episode, honestly. There's no, like, glaring flaw with this episode, to be honest. What do you have it at, Jacob? I have it at a 3.6. This is getting an A from me, but not an A+. Uh, I think we've gone Mm -hmm. into it a lot, but, yeah, I I think that it's a good uh, season one finale. uh, And I think that, yeah, there's lots of it going right, so I think it deserves that A. Uh, That'll leave this episode at a 3.54. And now, Zach, uh, we're going to our Battle of the Battle Rankings. Now, Mm -hmm. this time, uh, we have three battles. Uh, Usually, it's one, sometimes zero. But in this two-parter, we have many different battles. Uh, So, I think we have to get into all three. Uh, Maybe first, we can start start first. What's up? Where do you want to start first? Yeah. Yeah, I think first off, we can start off with Aang fighting the Fire Nation. This is in the first uh, part of the episode when... He's fighting the Fire Nation, uh, destroying the catapults with the two-hammer mini-boss guy. Uh, what's your ranking for that one, Zach? 
See, on the one hand, this is not a memorable fight. In fact, this is the one part of the episode that I actually completely forgot. I did not remember this dual-wielding hammer man at all. But I actually enjoyed this a lot, as weird as it is. <laughs> I liked Aang putting like the catapult through the ship. I liked this like dual-wielding hammer man. He had a unique weapon with his hammers on chains. So I'll give this a 3.1 out of 4. What about yourself, Jacob? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to that. I was at a 2.9 out of 4. I think that yeah, this Yeah, ep- I, I was I was waffling between 2.9 3.1 actually, so that's kind yeah. of funny. I, I think this uh fight is fine. Uh like I think that the way that he's dismantling the catapults is kind of cool, but ultimately like it feels so inconsequential when you're looking at the total yes. uh total episode as a whole. Uh, mm-hmm. I like the hammer guy, but I don't know, not enough to carry it <laughs> that far. So that's going to be a 3 from the two of us. Uh, the next fight is Zuko and Katara fight near the spirit world. And this one I think is pretty cool. Uh, this We see Katara fighting Zuko. It's like the first time we really see Katara uh, get into her own. This is, uh, I think Katara is like distinguishing herself as a truly epic bender, not among the schmucks that she's fighting in the water tribe, but also among Zuko, who's pretty impressed. I have this one at a 3.3. Uh, it doesn't probably have like enough to really separate it, but I, uh, yeah, I think that this is a pretty good fight. Zach, where are you? I mean, I agree with you, everything you said, and I think this is a, actually a great fight in the short time we get it. I have it at a 3.4, but I would have it even higher if this fight went on a little longer, to yep. be honest, because what we do get from it is really good, but it's kind of short. Because yep. Katara, we didn't really get into it in too much detail, but Katara has so many inventive techniques where at one point she like raises Zuko with this like huge ice pillar, like shoots him in there. So there's so much going on, but yeah, for it being a little short and that's that's the reason I'll have it at a 3.404. Otherwise, I'd have it even higher. Because I, yeah. I like like you said, I love when Katara's like in these battles. Now she's really coming to her own. And from here on going forward, like season two and season three, we're going to have like Katara as like, she's like a warrior. <laughs> she's basically like the person they put on the front lines while like Sokka hides in the back, essentially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Katara's really coming into her own. She's mm-hmm. distinguishing herself, uh, from that, like, you know, unsure, shy girl, uh, and initially to being like a complete badass, uh, now in the, in the end of season one. Um, the last fight that we have is the Fire Nation takes on the Northern Water Tribe. This is really three sub fights. There's the Paku and the Waterbenders and the ground. Aang wrecking some ships and Zuko fights Zhao, but we're going to lump them all as one fight. Uh, together and yeah zaka i'll let you take it away first i'm gonna go 3.6 out of 4 i like this a lot and i think even the paku thing that we get the short little little glimpse of i liked paku like going full badass with the full moon and i say this as somebody who was crapping all over poop head paku last episode but this episode i'll give him credit where credit is due that and i think the image that stands out to me most in all of season one, especially even before this rewash, was like Aang as the spirit, just slicing and doing just like the imposing figure and like the light blue glow that's radiating off of Aang and him in the center. Like you tell me about this, like you asked me about the season one finale prior to this rewatch. That's like the first scene I would come to. But overall, it's not like the best fight in the series, but I really enjoyed it for that, for those reasons. So I have it at a 3.6 out of 4. What about yourself jake i agree i think this is an a fight at a 3.6 uh there it definitely could be better there are some Mm -hmm. moments that are a little bit slow and i think that 
uh, the jumping back between three different fights is uh, like a little bit hard to follow at times. But mm-hmm. ultimately, this is a really cool fight. You're right that the salamander uh, spirit is like one of the most memorable things. And I think it's interesting that our three fights monotonically increase. Uh, we have a three, a 3.35, and a 3.6 for our three fights. So that's the end of the Battle of the Battle Season 1 rankings. Um, maybe, Zach, we can talk about what we're doing next week really quickly. Uh, we still have to get into oh, the Oh, you just want to hint at it now before we do our T-Quartet? I mean, sure, I'm done. Uh, well, Why yeah, not? we still have the listener feedback in T-Quartet, but uh, I do want to say yeah. that. Okay, yeah, no, keep going, keep going. Uh, yeah, the, the next week we will be uh, doing a season one retrospective. So I think uh, it'll be fun to look at our rankings for the fights, look at our rankings for the episodes, see where we're ranking things relatively. And I think it's uh, interesting to see these three fights all get pretty high marks, but I'm interested to see where they are in the total uh, total scheme of the entire like season one. Yeah, well, we're going to do a whole season one retrospective next week. And yeah, because the thing with season one for me, I enjoy season one a lot. Even on this rewatch, even episodes that I don't normally watch again, I've been watching them and I've enjoyed them on this rewatch. But I just think Avatar now, now, like with season two, we're going to get into such high highs. But I'm excited to like talk about season one and what we've seen. Like, I think obviously I'm going to talk about Bato of the Water Tribe. Now I should have just given that a zero out of four. <laughs> but no, we'll, we'll get into all the nitty gritty of season <laughs> one. We'll talk about the good we'll talk about the bad and yeah that's basically our plan for next week a season one retrospective and we'll also do that for season two and we'll do it for season three as well yeah exactly uh so yeah i think next up is our listener feedback uh as Mm -hmm. always right into avatar at postshowrecaps.com and hit us with your feedback you can Uh, also tweet at us and you can if you're in the patron post or the post show recaps discord you can also at me or jacob in that and i'm sure we'll respond pretty quickly uh yeah uh, Victor wrote in with th- a few things that I found really interesting. Um, well, first off, more of a comment, but totally accurate. Uh, the Northern Water uh, Tribe infiltration blue suit Zuko has that drip quality fit. Totally agree. <laughs> uh, I think he looked pretty good out- outside yeah, of his no, Zuko, 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 his fit was pretty fire, pun intended. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. Uh, then I thought this was really interesting. I know we got into names and definitions uh, a little bit earlier in book one, but he writes that according to uh, definitions.net, Han is a lunar impact crater that is located near the northern east limb of the moon. What kind of parents name their kid after a crater? Uh, Zach, any thoughts there? <laughs> wow, I'm surprised he like looked up the definition. I had no idea that's what Han meant. Yeah, parents who hate their snot-nosed crappy <laughs> kid because they took one look at Han as a baby and they're like, "Damn, he's gonna grow up to be an unsavory douche." So yeah, my hot take was uh, that everyone knew that the water spirit or the moon spirit, sorry, uh, saved Yue. And so their parents were like, oh, the moon spirits with Yue. So we'll name uh, Han something that gets with the moon because it's like uh, impact. Maybe. Yeah. No, no, you're right. Maybe they were preparing him for that arranged marriage and plotting behind the scenes. Well, in that case, screw Han and his whole family. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Yikes. Yikes. Uh, Uh, We'll move on. But um, yeah. So then um, we have more listener feedback, right? Yeah. Who else? Who else? Uh, well, of course, Lydia, as always, email. But actually, fifth wheel or no? Is it no fifth wheel fifth Navi wheel, or fifth wheel Navi, yeah, yeah, fifth wheel Navi called he wrote in, and I didn't even know Navi listens. Navi, if you're listening and you want a guest on any season two episode, you're welcome to come on. <laughs> I had no idea Navi even watched Avatar, so yeah, please do. 
Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that uh, she has a little bit of Azula love in there. She said, Azula's not only the best character in the series, she's one of the best antagonists in all of television. Don't at me. Uh, so yeah, definitely excited uh, to get into Azula. And I think any of the episodes where Azula is starting to, you know, grow into her own and show how badass she is. We'd love to have Navi on and uh, go through all that with her. Yeah. And from talking to, I think a lot of the people we're going to have on guest on season two are Azula stands. And the thing like, I mean, we talked about Azula a lot. We're finally going to be talking about her relatively soon within like the next couple of weeks. And it's just like, she primarily functions as the main antagonist through season two and season three. You actually never really see Ozai do anything really until like the tail end of season three. So for the rest of the series going forward, like we had Zhao for season one and then it's like Azula season two. And like while they allude to Ozai season three, it's really Azula who's the primary antagonist in my opinion, at least, but yeah, we no, can get into totally that accurate. at the time. Uh, yeah, last last person we had writing in this week is uh, Lydia. She had a quick question for us. Where would you place your door to the spirit world oasis? Maybe not unlocked in a deserted area. Air and fire temples love making doors that require bending to unlock. Where is this technology in the water tribe? So, Zach, I said it was like a wine cellar. Uh, I was also not a fan of this door. But where would you put your door to the spirit world? Hmm, where would I put my door to the spirit world? I don't know. I'd want a place nobody looks. Like my if, if I had an ensuite bathroom, I would just put my door <laughs> to the spirit world there. Like my own personal bathroom entrance. It'll be like the closet to go into Narnia, except instead it would just be like my bathroom that you just walk into. Yeah, uh, that's a good idea. I like that one. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> that you? maybe, you know, putting it like in something that looks like a wine cellar is a terrible idea because people might, you know, want to get a little drunk and go in there and be like, oh, wow, uh, valuable stuff. <laughs> You're just like drunk and show up in the spirit world. Code just like steals your drunken face. <laughs> <laughs> or that monkey's just like, no, no, no. You're too tossed. Uh, please leave. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that I would put it in something that's not desirable. So maybe like the sewage system, uh, mm -hmm like something like that maybe like where the trash goes like that's where i'm putting it that's uh, that's smart and it's not like you can really smell in the spirit world so yeah exactly you'll be fine until you come back to your mortal coil exactly well there you go that's our listener feedback uh next week definitely write in if you have any hot takes about season one any things that we didn't cover any battles or characters that we should do a little bit more of a breakdown uh, we'll be happy to take down any of your feedback from season one. Yeah, don't be like me as a podcast listener because I listen to so many <laughs> podcasts and provide no feedback because I think who would want to listen to my dumb opinion. However, me and Jacob, we love all the feedback we get. Even if we don't necessarily respond to it on the show, I read it all and I'm very appreciative of all the feedback you guys send in and especially for our season one uh, introspective. We want to hear all your guys' – or retrospective. I just misspoke. But we want to hear all your guys' takes for that. So yes. feel free to send it all in and definitely we'll get into all of it next week. Totally agree. The last thing that we have for this week's episode is the T-Quartet. And uh, we're going to be a little bit sillier with this one. Uh, you know, it's yeah. been a long podcast. We're both tired. Exactly. Let's yes, just we, let's send it. I'll be honest. I'm quite, I'm quite hungry. I have stuff to do. I mean, we, have, we probably have like another 10, 20 minutes here. Maybe we'll see. So, yeah, we're keeping it short with our T-Quartet. We're keeping it light and funny. I mean, we had a pretty heavy episode of Avatar overall. It's not like there was much too much comedy there. So we'll bring the comedy here. So what we're doing, and this is Jacob's idea, so I'll give him credit. We're doing the four ghosts from 
from Pac-Man. So, Jacob, you want to give them <laughs> apparently they have uh, they have their own personality. So you want to give them their little blurbs and their names as well for the listeners. Yeah. So they have uh, names and personalities and all that. So I'm <laughs> going to read the personalities of Zach and then we'll decide what they are. So the red one is known as Blinky. The pink one mm-hmm. is Pinky. Pretty good name. Uh, okay. The blue one is Inky. And the orange one is Clyde. Um, yeah, not really sure why, why we got that, but. Uh, <laughs> I wonder what Clyde's name is so different from everybody. Cause it's Pinky, Blinky, and what was the other one besides Clyde? Inky. Yeah. So why does Clyde not, why isn't, isn't it like Clinky? Yeah. Why I, is he so I don't good? know. Clyde, uh, apparently Clyde's real name is Pokey, but he goes by Clyde. Is this canon? Yeah, I mean, well, as, <laughs> as canon as it gets, uh, apparently okay. there's like a Pac-Man cartoon um, where, yeah, the okay. person's name is Clyde. So there you go. Um, anyway, uh, I'll read a short description for each one and then maybe we can break them down. Sure. Uh, sure, sure. So Blinky, uh, whose real name is Shadow, is a red ghost who in the original game follows behind Pac-Man. He's largely considered the leader of the ghosts. So it sounds like this is the one that's always uh, chasing Pac-Man down. Did it say that? You said this his real name is Shadow. Are you sure this is not some like Sonic like fan fiction that we're getting here? Why is his real name some edgy crap like Shadow? I don't know. Ah, uh, I think it's real. <laughs> Am I, I mean, wrong? So no, no, if you're it's right. Real, I mean, it, it just sounds, it sounds kind of like fan fiction. That is, like, <laughs> I can buy like Clyde's real name being like Pokey, but <laughs> Shadow. That's just like some edge lord stuff. I don't know. Anyways, continue with your my my apologies for this aside. I'm just oh, no, taken no off guard by that. Uh, I think that uh, it's totally fair. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Blinky. Is the mm-hmm. red one chases Pac-Man around the maze. Next, we have Pinky, whose real name is listed as Speedy, is a pink female ghost who in the original arcade game uses ambush tactics to position herself in front of Pac-Man to surround him. We have Inky, whose real name is listed as Bashful, is a blue ghost who in the original arcade game has a fickle mood. He can be unpredictable. Sometimes <laughs> he chases Pac-Man aggressively like Blinky. Other times he jumps ahead of Pac-Man as Pinky would. He might even wander off like Clyde on occasion. Uh, these are all things I played a lot of Pac-Man. I've not picked up on this, but we'll finish it off Me with Clyde. Uh, whose real name is Pokey is an orange ghost who in the original arcade game acts stupid. He will chase after Pac-Man in Blinky's manner, but wander <laughs> off to his home corner when he gets too close. I feel like with these descriptions, like, I don't know, with Clyde, how do you put him into any bending discipline? Because you're just like, Clyde's an idiot. That's it. Like, All right. Here's, here's my take. Here's my take. Let's start off with Clyde. I love it. Sure. Clyde, the orange one, is going to be the equivalent of Jinju, the airbender who yes. stinks. Because I, 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 I was thinking airbender too, anyways, for Clyde. So you're right. He's just Jinju and who knows, maybe like Jinju, <laughs> he's just got some hidden talents. And yeah. Because it's so funny that we saw Jinju for like two seconds, but for some reason he just stuck in my head still. Oh, as yeah. soon as you said his name, I knew exactly who you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't remember, he's like this just dirty airbending kid who like nobody wants on their team and it just covered in muck for some reason yeah he's like the pig pen of the airbending world so that's going to be clyde uh what do you think the next useful one uh, next best one is i think inky might be the next one uh it says inky's unpredictable 
but I kind of think that that might be like uh, like versatile if we're if we can read into this a bit. I, like it <laughs> it, seems, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I'll go. I know where you're going with this. I'm pretty sure. So okay. continue. Yeah. So it sounds like Inky like can do the blinky, can do the pinky, can even do the Clyde a little bit. And I think that's what a waterbender can do. Like has a little bit of that versatility and can can yes. go to different places. Yeah. I agree with you. Waterbending is an element of change. Pinky, is this Pinky, right? Or is this it? is Inky, Ooh. the blue one. This is Inky, Inky, who's the waterbender. You're right. Because waterbending is an emotion of, it's, or waterbend, a lot of waterbenders are, they're not necessarily as in tune with their emotions. They're emotional people. So yeah, no, I can go with this. Inky being versatile and what being our waterbender is right. a little bit of a stretch, but we're literally doing four ghosts and one of them's description was like, <laughs> they're an idiot. So we don't give cut me and Jacob a little bit of slack here. I mean, we don't exactly have the most nuanced descriptions to go off of like we've had for some other quartet. That's, so. fair. That's I, I, fair. I like where you went with it. And I'll co-sign what you said. So All here'll right. be our water bed. So we're left with Pinky and Blinky. Pinky is the female pink ghost who is uh, a little bit sneaky and Blinky just straight up chases after Pac-Man. I think that Blinky with this uh, description is probably the earthbender, like just chasing very straightforward, like going after Pac-Man in a direct path. I feel like that's the earthbender move. Yeah. And the way they do, I, I mean, he doesn't necessarily scream earthbender to me. Not that any of these people scream any bending discipline. <laughs> these ghosts scream any, but I think Pinky is actually the most firebender to me because the way they describe her, I don't her, know. If, yeah. I don't know if they have a gender. The way they describe her, it seems like she's very aggressive. Come in her pursuit of Pac-Man. And for that reason, obviously, we know if firebenders are anything, they're aggressive. So I think that might even be the most obvious one. Like her and maybe the Jinju ghost <laughs> <laughs> might be the most obvious one. So that leaves the leader. Uh, who is it again? Uh, Blinky. The Blinky one. as our earthbender. All I should right. wrote this down. My apologies. No I, keep, I keep, I'm about to say like Pinky or Blinky and I keep mixing it up. So. All right. Well, we've we've, uh, you know, agonized over this decision all week. You know, we prepared for hours over this. But here is our final our final ranking. We have Blinky Earth, Pinky Fire, Inky Water and Clyde is the airbender. So there you go. I mean, I'm 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 not trying to be a a lazy person. Like, admittedly, I did not take much notes for this bending segment. (laughs) But hey, I had like, man, for I think for this finale, I had the most notes I ever had. Honestly, for this two part finale, and you probably felt similarly, right? I definitely. I think we kind of we we definitely phoned it in for this T quartet segment. Don't get me wrong, but (laughs) hopefully, you guys enjoyed the first two hours and five minutes of this episode. Yeah, exactly. And hey, if you really liked the uh, T-Quartet segment with the Pac-Man characters, there are other ones. We could do Dinky, Funky, Spunky, and Kinky. So, write us in (laughs) if you really... Yeah, the, those are different ones. So let's see. Kinky is the name of a Pac-Man ghost. Are you are you sure this is not some like Pac-Man like Tumblr blog that I'm, you're reading? I'm so sure this is real. So Dinky, okay, I, I believe I believe you. I'm just shocked that this is these are the creative decisions they went. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Dinky is a white one from the Pac-Man TV series. Funky okay. is from Pac-Mania. Uh, Spunky again. Uh, Funky's green. Spunky is like a, a black or maybe translucent ghost. I can't tell from Pac-Mania. Mm-hmm. And then Kinky looks like it's wearing glasses and from Pac-Man Arrangement from 1996. So 
if this is by pop back by popular demand, we'll have another T quartet of <laughs> Pac-Man goes for you. If a single person writes that in, I'll deep from my you would eat it. Cause I, <laughs> I, I do not, I don't think any person's clamoring for any more Pac-Man talk. I'd be All very right. surprised. Well, um, that's season on that one note, from us. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I guess we'll call it an end to season one. I mean, this has been a fun ride. Thanks to you, Jacob, for joining me along this adventure. I feel like me and Jacob, when we first started this, like we had good chemistry, but we didn't necessarily know each other that well. So throughout these past couple of months, I feel like we've gotten just a good feel for each other. I feel like we have good beats on the podcast. We know not to interrupt each other and all that good stuff. And yeah, I think this has been a great time. So thanks to you, Jacob, for coming along with me on this endeavor that we got ourselves on. Yeah, it's been super fun with you, Zach. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see uh, by the end of book three, if we master all of the podcasting elements and uh, <laughs> if we really become the avatar ourselves. But it's been so much fun. And Zach, I think that we should tell the listeners what they can expect over the next two weeks. So next yes. week, we said we're going to be doing our season one retrospective and season uh, and two weeks from now, we have something really exciting for you. Uh, we have Josh Wiggler and Kevin Mahadeo coming on to break down the last airbender movie. The trash movie by M. Night Shyamalan will be broken down in just two weeks. So get hype. I'm so excited for that one. Yeah, I've actually, spoiler alert, I've watched Avatar a million times, of course. So I have a, we podcast about it, but I've never seen this movie. I know how horrible it is. I've seen bits and pieces of it on TV. I know the firebenders like need a source of fire and the earthbenders like bend a single pebble and it takes like all their combined might to do that. I know M. Night Shyamalan probably didn't even watch the show before, but <laughs> I feel like these like horrible movies make for good podcasts. And then me and Jacob had been thinking about this for a while and I actually floated this. I was just he told Josh, Josh messaged me and he was like I just told him I was like oh yeah we're probably gonna podcast about the M. Night Shyamalan movie and Josh was like sign me up I want to talk about it too <laughs> so kudos to Wiggler for yeah. hopping on with us for that I and feel Kevin so Mondale for those for those of you who don't know those guys, I mean, Josh has a million podcasts on the Post Show Recaps Network. His community building with Jess Sterling. He podcasts Lost Down the Hatch with Mike Bloom. Obviously, all the Survivor stuff he does with uh, Rob Cicinino. And then Kevin Maadeo does the Everything is Super podcast with Josh Wiggler, also on our network, the Post Show Re- Recaps Network, where they talked about all the Marvel movies and are now going through all the Spider-Man movies. So give those guys, check them out if you haven't listened to them and you only listen to us for some weird reason that kind of that surprises <laughs> me if you do but yeah give them a list if you want to get used to them before they come on and yeah i'm very excited for that podcast in two weeks yeah that will be an all-time episode so yeah definitely mm-hmm. write in your feedback for season one and then in two weeks get stoked for just a terrible movie with some great podcasters so that'll be and fun the, uh- and then after that, after we do that movie, we're going straight into season two. Yeah. So that's our schedule. So we're going to do the season one in review podcast next week. See the M. Night Shyamalan stinker of a movie. And then we're going to off the, to the races in season two. So yeah, man, exactly. I, it feels like this has gone by so fast because I guess I, I didn't realize we were going to do all the finales just in one one uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. So it just feels like we breezed through season one. I feel like we started the podcast yesterday and we're yeah. already on season two. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting stuff. Well, we've got lots to look forward to in the next few weeks. But until then, where can they find you, Zach? 
They can find me on Twitter at ZachMohammed32. Our feed is back up, contrary to what I was saying at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> so if you want to leave us a five-star review, you could do that at postshowrecaps.com slash ATLA. And thanks to you, the people listening. Like, I don't know, I'll never forget when Rob showed me the numbers. I was like, man, this many people listen to our little rinky-dink podcast. So thanks to the people who've been along with me and Jacob on this journey. We appreciate all you guys, all the fans who write in. And yeah, thanks to everybody who's supported us. It means the world to both me and Jacob. And then Jacob, where can they find you? Yeah, yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at JK Redman. And I really do appreciate the people who have joined us on Team Avatar mm-hmm. Podcasting. It has been a blast to podcast with Zach every week. I'm so excited that people are along for the ride on Appa's smelly back. So thank you so much for coming (laughs) along. Uh, Until next time, see you later. Peace out, guys.